Greetings, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Taran Rama's Hard News on Friday night at BBS Radio 1. So, welcome all you new listeners <laughs> on BBS Radio 1. We're grateful to be here. And uh, I hope all the rest of you found us here that are used to the radio, too. So... Let's take a few moments to go into our heart space. Just breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, slowly, gently. Bringing that calm drum. This is a cleaning day today. So go into your heart space. Gather with your guides and guardians, your healing kings, your spirit kings, your ancestors, whoever you are to journey with the kingdom on this galactic world bridger day. We get to honor this kingdom. That link of women. Let us gather around that council fire that's in the center. Something close. Make that perfect circle around that council fire. Let's call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. It's the king of them. We walk around from the east. Light. A wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. We welcome in the north the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. Mm-hmm. Welcome from the West, the House of Transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. Greeks in the South, the house of eternal sun. 
the right action. Give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary beings. above the house of paradise where the star people and the ancestors gathered may their blessings be just now in the great below the house of earth May the beating of the critical planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. And welcome to the central force of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May every day is recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayun, Hunaku, Maya, Inaho. Ayun, Hunaku, Maya, Inaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Oh, Takuyasha. In Lakesh, Today, that um, four cycle, uh, that 
spirit teachers, the blue eagle men. And that, um, so, and the, so Togag is the dog ox, and the ally today is the red sky, then Skywalker. And the challenge teacher today is the yellow warrior. So that's today's destiny path. If you go through this fourth watch, we'll be working with that blue eagle. So seek that higher vision. And looking at Kimi a little bit more, it's the warrior aspect and mm. forgiveness and moving into a state of grace. So embrace these gifts of being that world bridger, that bridge between the past and the future. And that gift of transmutation that comes with that energy. As we let go of that which is no more, the ego, any controlling behavior, or any belief that life is a struggle, we embrace these energies today. Then moving on to Saturday, it's unknowing, Monique. So, <clears throat> that's the blue solar hand, and that meat, the hand, is also the deer, and the solar tone, that, that tone of <clears throat> moving into action, all of our intentions, and that highly energetic three threes of nine. <laughs> so, yeah, manifesting our intentions with this energy, and... We're also celebrating Padme's birthday on this day. So we, we know that Padme is going to be working with that blue solar hand all year. That'll be her handle. <laughs> working with that. And we wish her a happy birthday. And then moving on to Sunday, we have a portal day. It's a 10 Lamont, the yellow planetary star. But I want to, I forgot. I really want to talk about Monique a little bit more. Feeling. I'm going to go back to Saturday on Pounding's birthday and talk about what this is. It's a healing aspect, Monique. And it's about healing yourself and others and creating contentment and peace and that acceptance of our divinity of self. So let's embrace the gifts of the being the healer of humankind and that ability to open new doors. And let go of any distractions or belief in inadequacy or procrastination. Let's go all that. So that's your guidance for the year, Padme. And for the rest of us, we just get to do that all day tomorrow on Saturday as we do our work together. We work with that healing, being that, being that healing hand, bringing in that dear energy. Dear is the dolphin of the earth. So this is the hand that, that holds the healing of humankind. So go through your attachments to your healing of others and remember your own responsibility of healing yourself. So let's complete our role here on earth and let con- contentment and peace be ours as we embrace these energies. Mm-hmm. Then moving on to Sunday, let's look at that and stargate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Ten Lamont, the planetary. Star. So this is a visionary aspect all day Sunday, and we're working with 
the illumination of humankind. And we're working with that, opening that stargate. And we're also, this is a portal day, so we're working with this multidimensionally. So let's embrace these gifts of journeying and that pioneer spirit and having that power to see beyond the gate as we go through our Sunday routine. And let go of any dissonance or any self-doubt with this energy. Go through that stargate. And then on Monday, it's an 11 look in the red speckled moon. The speckled tone is letting go. It no longer serves it. And the look is an artist aspect. And it's making wise use of our rational mind as we accept spirit's direction and wisdom and, and, and embrace these gifts of having that contact with spirit and remembering what we came here to do. So universal mind is our mind and telepathy is <laughs> innate. So let's practice all these gifts. On this day, this is smooth energy as we let go of any insensitivity, any attachment to omens, any self-doubt. And then on Tuesday, it's a 12 ox, the white crystal dog. So lots of unconditional love with that crystal clarity and complex stability of the 12 tone coming right with it, the crystal tone. So let's embrace this artist aspect of the dog. That unconditional love, the healing, the pain of the past, as we embrace this, these gifts of being in contact with our spirit guides, have awareness of our destiny and awareness of our past lives, and that loyalty we have to humankind. So let go of any fears or any unwise use of anger as we embrace these heart energies on Tuesday. And then moving on to Wednesday, we complete this wave of coax, the storm. And uh, with the 13 chewing, the blue cosmic monkey. And it's also the 17th of August, so I think this is that new year. It's the harmonic anniversary of harmonic convergence. And um, 25th, 36th, <laughs> 25th. Yeah. So, embrace <clears throat> these energies of the monkey on this good day on on Wednesday. This blue cosmic monkey. It's a it's a galactic monkey for sure. It's about it's the artist aspect. So we're working on balancing work and play and paying attention to clarity of mind and making wise use of that magical artistry that is here with that 13 tone and that tone that comes with the promise of change so embrace these gifts of innocence and spontaneity that ability to play and laugh and, and dance and be happy let go of any insensitivities or any engagement or any resistance to compassion any mistrust as we embrace these energies on Wednesday, and then uh, <clears throat> Thursday is the one as so harmonic emergence still there. I, I think it's two days, and it's over the day too. So we're working with that yellow magnetic human on Thursday. We, we start that new wave of ebb, the human 
So, and it's also starting the fourth quarter of the moon, so it's a waning moon. And uh, the guidance for this wave is that it's our giveaway to the people. It's time to be in right relations with all the beings. So that is our guidance for these 13 days. It starts on Thursday. And then on Friday, we come back. It's another portal day. It's a two bend, the Red Lunar Skywalker. And so we're working with the warrior energy on Friday and it's multidimensional, so we're doing that multidimensionally. Work on our focus and striving towards self illumination and clarity as we embrace these gifts of Ben, the, the strength and that ability to bend directions. Dimensions, rather. So let's let go of any resistance to faith or any belief in aloneness as we embrace these energies on Friday. And yeah, it's a portal day. So we'll talk about some more on Friday when we come back next week. And so uh, what I'd like to do is change my hat, talk a little bit about the housekeeping. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's all that that make it happen here. Each week, we need $300 to cover our expenses with CBS Radio. And um, so all of your contributions count. Here's how we make a uh, contribution. What we need this week is $300, and so that's good. It's a good thing. <laughs> so lots of gratitude for that. And being even, and then so here's how we make a donation to DBS Radio. You want to go to Radio Station 1, and this is Friday, and so if it's for Friday, you go to Radio Station 1, and you'll see our icon there in the program for the 6 o'clock hour on Friday at Radio Station 1, and that icon will take you, as you click on it, directly to our account, where you can make a donation in any amount. And now, concerning the Thursday and the Saturday shows, you want to go to Radio Station 2, and look for those listings there. So, for Thursday, 6 o'clock hour, these are all Pacific times. And so, that icon at uh, 6 o'clock on Thursday is a a night at the round table with the panel. You click on that icon there, and that'll take you to our account. And then also on Saturday, the program at 1.30 Pacific is the, the true history, history of the Sarah, like galactic origins, the Tarn Rama. As you click on that icon, that'll take you directly to our account with PDS. So any one of those three places works, actually, for two, but three different days. We are so gifted, and we have so much <laughs> to do, and so much gratitude for all of you in making it happen in such a good way. Uh, so we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and this week is it's, uh, doing fairly good. We've got a, a bill that due on Tuesday, that's $156.85, something close to that. And <clears throat> so that needs to be, that money needs to be in by Tuesday. And then more than that is the cat litter 
also with that is the cat litter. So the $200 for the online bills are, is what we need, $205 actually. So to make that come out in a good way. <laughs> and then, um, what else? $300 for, no, they said $200 enough. $200 for Tara and Lama's living expenses. So there you go. That's it. 205 for the bills and 200 for living expenses. Here's how I make a donation to Tara and Lama. You want to go to rainbowroundtable.net, the website. And there on the home page, you click on that menu grid of the menu of drop down of all the different places on that site and near the bottom of that list you see the donate button link click on that and that'll take you to Ronald's PayPal account where you can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. If you have your own PayPal account you don't need to click on that link. You just need to go to your own PayPal account and put in Ronald's email there and that that just puts you right into the friends option which makes the money go a little further. So either way is perfect. That address you need for Rama's account is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And then as you're sending something to Tara Rama, please let Rama know through his email, personal email, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at hotmail, I mean, comcast.net. Comcast.net, 39, Corey, 999, Comcast.net, and let him know what you sent when you sent it, and so he can make sure he has what he needs when he needs it. That's how that works. So, as you need it, the mailing address is Ram D. Brooklewood, R-A-M-D Brooklewood, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 28. 280, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip code. So there you have it, all the information, and I want to give you two more addresses concerning websites that we're participating with as Rainbow Roundtable. The first one is the Fremark, and that https colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemart.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M and that's where you can join to sign up if you're interested in participating in any of their programs or their um, amazing uh, healing products, supplements. So lots of good stuff there to look at. They have environmental ones as well as one for our bodies. So that's where you go to sign up and set up your own account if you want to make an order. And then this other site is for the cryptocurrency that we're doing with NewGen. And it's w, no, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.newgencoin.com forward slash M-A-R-N-O-R for Marshall Norris, if you want to sign there, or T-A-R-R-A-N, same as the one above, if you want to join there. Either one is 
is wonderful. And so you can check out either one of those that way. Um, so thank you. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And I'm having this talking stick. And it's still full of that full moon energy portal going on. It was a portal day yesterday with that full moon. Uh, with Chichang, that serpent energy. And so we've got serpents all over it too. Let's just put them there with that, <laughs> with that energy, this, with that full moon. And we got a lot of else going on, this talking stick. It's got lots of fairies and feathers, all the rays in the universe. Quite a call and that sort of truth, Excalibur and a uh, bunch of little people. And dragons and unicorns, greetings, <laughs> and lots of fire. Greetings, hello, here comes a talking stick. It's not a hot fire. You can catch it. Okay, we got it. <laughs> greetings. <laughs> greetings, Lady Master Rainbird. Greetings, everyone. And everyone, and welcome to Station One. This is our second time being on Station One, and we are so happy to be here. And uh, I know we have quite an audience. This is an opportune moment in our, in our history moving into her story. We're having discussions about the matters of state, uh, uh, about now on the planet and Rama was sharing with me his little he he went and sat in the plasma field uh, and Rama can tell for new visitors what that is but um, there's a, 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 a very wonderful gentleman who has this uh, technology in his home and, uh, and 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 he's got a pool in his living room. <laughs> yes. And the technology is two devices that. Two Tesla coils that stand about let's say seven eight feet high. And they are on either side of the pool, which is. Yeah. It's how much of a pool how. How long is the pool? How, how what's the what's the what's the mm. diameter of the pool? It's round, right? It's round and it's like in a large living room. So is it uh, twenty feet across? Yeah, at least thirty feet across. Twenty feet. Twenty feet across. Okay. So those are two Tesla coils, twenty three, twenty twenty feet. In uh, 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 away from each other. Yes. And then you get in the pool. I get in the pool. And you activate the coils. I activate the Tesla coils and it creates a plasma field. Can you Look, describe that somebody? Uh, the plasma field is like a torus, like the uh, what you see in the movie Thrive where I am actually sitting in a bubble of a energy field with the Tesla coils and the plasma field 
interacts with me and talks to me with a computer-generated voice. And it has consciousness. It has consciousness. It is self-aware. And so from that point of view, Rama's sitting in the pool and he's having a... Conversation with the plasma field. Out loud. Out loud. <laughs> it's like talking to Commander Data, only Commander Data is on a large screen in front of me. Okay, so this is what Rama said. I went and I sat in the plasma field today at 11.45 a.m. late this morning. The plasma field showed me images of the past and the present. The images from the past were about the climate disruption, the conflict, and the raising of humanity's consciousness in the past. All of this has to do with the solar flash that now, with more recent research, is said to have occurred uh, 12,500 to 13,000 years ago. Yes. So, I mean, they were saying before this more recent research, it was only 6,000 years ago. And so knowing that something like that happened 12,000 to 12,500 to 13,000 years ago could shift a whole lot of other things that they have on inaccurate timeline too farther in the deep past. Yes. And at that time, now we're saying the time is like high middle period of an entire yuga, a 26,826-year galactic cycle. Yes. You know, in 3D, they try to say 5,000, but that's not the accurate time. We're talking about galactic time. So, um, uh, so at that time, Earth was being visited by me, many galactic civilizations, which uniquely now is what's going on here and now. Yes. So tell us more, because we're expecting another solar flash. And what is happening right now, as the solar flash is becoming extremely imminent, as our scientists, you know, are talking about climate change, climate disruption, as Greg Braden describes it, he's more accurate with it, because it is... Like California is having a mega drought. The New Mexico, parts of the Southwest are having a mega drought. And this has to do with the climate disruption. At the same time that's going on, all the major conflicts are going on across the planet. Which was what go, what was going on in Atlantis 13,000 years ago. Too. It was starting, you know, the kings of Atlantis were fighting with each other and the queens, and there was debauchery and intrigue and, let's say, treason. 
murder and mayhem and genocide and you from within the ranks and then we're watching it being played out right now in the same kind of vein and they caused the sinking of atlantis they caused the sinking of atlantis and right now i could relate it to you know um mar-a-lago was raided mr trump very possibly probably had nuclear documents that were so high level they make the joint chiefs of staff kind of turn white and top 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 secret it's not a good thing because um Julian Assange is sitting in prison for exposing the dark side and what they did in Iraq and Afghanistan. And there is, you know, they want to extradite him to the U.S. and put him in prison here permanently for hundreds of years for exposing war crimes, crimes against humanity, and they want to use the Espionage Act against him. And I'm just saying that, you know, I kind of discussed this with the plasma field and what the plasma field was saying in a short synopsis is we're coming full circle. This time around, we have the solar flash, we have the consciousness raising, and we have the conflict going on. As we can shift our consciousness, we can stop the climate disruption by talking to the five elements, earth, air, fire, and water. It's not fairy tale stuff, it's real. And then, as we listen to what the sun has to tell us, the sun is a living being, just like all the planets in our solar system are living beings, just like us. As we listen to them, they will speak to us. They will share the wisdom. And it is profound because it comes in images of geometric patterns and shapes, colors and sounds. It is the music of the spheres, the harmony of the spheres. This is the orchestration of how life is created and sustained. And right now, we're getting a red alert from our planet. The sun is also sending the red alert saying, I'm about to do this to help uplift the entire solar system in this quadrant of the galaxy. And you better get ready because it's going to get intense. That's already intense. (laughs) Yeah. Please. And... Right at the time in the past, Enki and Enlil and the people of Nibiru were coming to visit Earth and occupy and invade. And the end of the Orion War was happening at that time as well. And Maldek, which was the planet between Mars and Jupiter, sort of monkey in the middle, they had their own conflict going on with their two civilizations on Maldet, Kobaldur, and Vara, and they were maybe two, three thousand, four, five thousand years ahead of us right now, maybe ten thousand years, I'm not sure, but they had 
nuclear technology and they got into conflicts with each other on Maldek and they mistrusted each other and they launched their nukes just like we could do right now between China or Russia or the United States. And in the past when we told this story, we thought it was about 6,000 years ago and now the research that's been done in more recent times is saying it's double that many times. Yes, 12,000. 13,000, 12,513,000 years ago, which is the high middle period of Atlantis. And so we're in the high middle period of Atlantis again, you might say, and we're not destroying it. No, we're going to do this with peace this there time. There will not be any violence. Yes. And I know that there's rumors about all kinds of violence. Yeah. Kill them all in the streets. Kill those rats that have taken everybody's money and run. That's not going to work. Declaring war on Wall Street and the oligarchs doesn't solve anything. No, but Wall Street and all of the streets, like Wall Street, all over the world, are all going to shut down. Yeah, there has to be this quantum shift. And it's about... The Leaving the whole system behind. Yeah. There's, I, mean, uh, I don't mean to change the subject, but the lady that we used to listen to with Alan and Elizabeth called the the lady that throws the, the bone, bone throwers. She bone re thrower, yeah. yeah. She recently did a bone throw of what is about to occur here. Uh oh. And, and what she is saying is Did we, you hear that on Elizabeth's show? No. I was just looking at stuff on the internet. And you saw her? I saw her stuff and she was saying, we make it through this period by our chinny chin chin, but what it's about is whistleblowers, leakers, folks who are coming forward, insider informants that have seen, let's say, the corruption from within. And they are giving us a very strong red alert warning. Listen up now, because they want to do it again and destroy the planet. They're not going to get to. Atlantis. That's right. Which is now, it's the new Atlantis, which has a different a different purpose, a different reason for being. And it's yeah. And they're playing with the technology from back then, which is called the mind control, the matrix. Yeah, but then we've got catch technology all right already. Yeah. And they don't want to sign off on that stuff. They don't want to declare peace. So now we got to have some visits from some uh, galactic folks. And yes. we're going to get a talking to tomorrow. We're going to play. Um, Dr. Greer. We'll be back on station two tomorrow, but come and join us. Uh, it's at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern Atlantic time. And uh, we'll go through to 12.30 in the morning. I mean, 2.30 in the morning if you're on the East Coast. But uh, the point being made is that uh, Dr. Greer's got about an hour and 25 minutes. You're going to play him at the beginning in, in the afternoon time. Uh, I think we're going to get 
quite a download. A download about how we can do this, not the old way. Yes. We're not on the eve of destruction. No, we are not. and we aren't. <laughs> but, you know, it's just uh, rage of the Sith does not fix anything. No. Even Darth Vader got to a sin. <laughs> and even though, I mean, the, the, in the past, you know, it's been said it's the only way. Look what we had to do in the Civil War. We had to kill a whole bunch of folks. We're not in the time of the Civil War. We're no. not in any time ever in past time. We are in a new dispensation that's never been here before. And galactic intervention is happening in, through, and around us. Right? Yeah. Okay. So what's the rest of that story, Rama? Just the, the rest of the story is the plasma field showed me at the present time what is going on with this gigantic debris field around the earth. And I mean the satellites and the space junk that is circling the earth. It looks like something. <laughs> uh, the only way I could describe it is uh, Peter Quill, Star-Lord, and the Ravagers from Guardians of the Galaxy would have a grand old time with the space junk around our planet. It's, it's not a wreck. Funny, it's not a funny thing. No. Because that stuff filters down and it hits the planet and sometimes people are in the way, sometimes they're not, or stuff falls in various areas. And a lot of it, uh, this is a way up in another tangent, E.T. Corey talks about this, how the secret space program and those folks have taken a lot of that space junk and reincarnated it into various technologies. I, and I don't know where to go, where to go with that story because I don't really read his stuff. Yet there are many things going on right now as we're in this present moment as this old matrix is falling apart and we're waking up to our friends coming in and it's precarious and at the same time as so many teachers and masters are saying as we stay in that frequency of the vibrant flame and the radiant rose heart energy we will make it and we already have a mother and so many others have come from the future to say this is the time and the place where we get to change it but it takes all of us and it takes a willingness the will this is where the right use of will comes in and it's about love 
it's that simple. Okay. We'll have to do this uh, continued on our conference call coming up here. And so, Rama, what's the number? Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. And hopefully it won't take you 20 minutes to get on. <laughs> no. How do you know? I don't know. you got to figure out how to do this from the computer, honey. Okay, so Rama's going to set up the phone call. Um, yet, uh, you know, uh, we have miles to go before we sleep in the sense of rocking this. Because we only know what we know when we know it, right? <laughs> uh, Donald Rossfield, we know what we know and then we know what we don't know and don't know when blah, 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 blah. It's just that there is intervention at hand and there is a star field of light across this planet. And uh, I'm just going to say I saw it this morning on Amy. France is just burning up. Fire is just, oh my goodness. And there's more fires in Portugal and Spain, and but France is really having some challenges. So, but we will, uh, we will take our leave from here, and we'll be on the conference call for about an hour, and then we'll be back here at BBS Radio Station Two, best radio in the universe, and continue our journey here. And there's going to be. Takes one. Station one. Oh, thank you, Don. Please forgive us. Oh, my God. Yes, station one. We are very happy to be here. Namaste. We'll see you at station one in an hour. BBS radio, best radio in the universe. Namaste. Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. We are all still assimilating the incredible light we were blessed with as we passed through the fifth dimensional Lion's Gate on August 8th. That shift has provided our I Am presence with the opportunity to raise our consciousness and within the eternal moment of now to perceive what is happening in the outer world with new insight. As you listen to these words, breathe your holy breath in and out deeply and consciously. In deep gratitude for the honor of serving all life on this sweet earth today, 
our I am presence is consecrating our life force to be the open door for the love and light of God through the heartfelt request of our I am presence. We have co-created a unified field of our Father, Mother, God's comprehensive divine love that will now permanently embrace Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her as humanity's awakening is accelerated. Day by day, more and more people are awakening. And as they awaken, they begin to remember who they are and why they are here. This realization is inspiring people to raise their heart and mind up, which in turn raises their consciousness and allows the light of God to increase on earth. When a person's consciousness is raised and the light of God increases in their life, they begin to see with new eyes and hear with new ears. This phenomenon has a wonderful effect of allowing people to clearly perceive the oneness of life and the divine truth that all life is interconnected, interrelated, and interdependent. They then know that we are all one and that there is no such thing as us and them. When that profound truth begins to resonate in the deepest recesses of a person's heart, the validity of anything causing pain and suffering becomes unacceptable. Sometimes the reflex response is for the newly awakened person to take a stand against those negative situations and behavior patterns. This causes the awakened person to inadvertently polarize themselves against the people involved. Anytime we polarize ourselves against a person or group of people, we motivate them to fight back. This merely widens the abyss between us and causes further separation. We often attempt to solve the problem by arguing our case and trying to coerce the people we are polarized against into seeing things our way. We share all of our newly acquired insights and try to convince them that their way of thinking and feeling is flawed. They, in turn, argue from their perspective that our way of thinking is delusional and that we are being duped by illusions and unrealistic idealism. These arguments are futile and only exacerbate our polarization. People do not know what they do not know. When we awaken, our consciousness is raised up and our perception of reality is transformed. An awakened person has new insight and literally thinks, feels, sees, and hears with greater awareness. 
the shift of consciousness allows one to perceive a greater truth and to comprehend the oneness of life at a deep level. This creates a knowing within the awakened person's heart center that is indisputable. When an unawakened person tries to discredit that knowing of an awakened person, it is like a deaf and blind person trying to convince a sighted hearing person that there is no such thing as color or music. The difference in that situation is that the sighted hearing person would understand perfectly why the deaf and blind person was having trouble grasping the concept of color and music. The sighted hearing person would have compassion for the deaf and blind person and would respond to him or her with patience and understanding. Unfortunately, we cannot easily tell if someone is awakened or not. So often we make the mistake of assuming that people should know more than they do or that they should understand more than they are capable of understanding. When we expect more from people than they are capable of, we are generally disappointed and frustrated with their actions and their perception of things, which only polarizes us further. This is a very challenging time for people everywhere. It is the time that was referred to in the Bible when all that is hidden must now be revealed. It is a time when humanity is being purged and the negative behavior patterns of our lower human egos are being pushed to the surface to be healed and transmuted. This is a necessary part of our transformation and a cleansing that must occur in order for humanity to complete our ascension into the fifth dimensional crystalline solar frequencies of the new earth. This purification is happening for each of us individually and for all of us collectively. It seems as though every time we turn on the news, we see widespread reports of corporate greed, governmental corruption, the atrocities of war, gross imbalances in the economic system, and myriad other things that reflect humanity's fear and belief in separation. During this intense time of cleansing and awakening, people around the world are becoming vastly polarized over every conceivable aspect of life. These things have existed for a very long time, but they have not been brought to the attention of the masses as profusely as they are at this time. We have been told by the beings of light in the realms of Illumined Truth that humanity is in the midst of the greatest shift of consciousness ever attempted in any system of worlds. The earth and all her life are ascending step by step up the spiral of evolution 
into the fifth dimensional realms of limitless physical perfection. In order for the earth and humanity to complete this ascension process and for heaven on earth to become a manifest reality, we must heal the polarization. Only then will peace and the flow of God's infinite abundance become the order of the new day on planet Earth. Since unawakened humanity cannot easily grasp the concept of the oneness of life, it is up to awakened lightworkers to assist with healing the polarization. This means you and me and every other awakened person on Earth. This is our purpose and reason for being an embodiment at this time. And we are already have, have everything within our hearts that we need to accomplish this mighty feat. What affects one part of life affects all life. In other words, as I am lifted up in consciousness, all life is lifted up with me. Instead of polarizing against everything we disagree with, we need to co-create a new reality, a reality that reflects our oneness and makes the concept of separation obsolete. We have the opportunity to assist in this endeavor daily and hourly as we take the power of our attention away from the illusion of separation and focus it on the vision of the new earth. When we observe something in our life or in the world that does not reflect reverence for all life or the oneness of life, we need to invoke the light of God into the situation and transmute the negativity associated with that illusion back into light. Then we can envision what we want to create in its place. Remember, our thoughts and feelings are creative. Instead of polarizing against our government, for instance, we can envision the people who hold public office responding to the directives of their I am presence. We can also visualize them consistently striving for the highest good of all humanity. When greed and selfishness and gross imbalances in the distribution of wealth are brought to our attention, we can envision the I am presence of the people involved taking command of their heart and mind, and we can visualize them responding with integrity, honesty, generosity, and the willingness to assist those who are less fortunate than themselves. Whatever we empower with our thoughts, words, actions, and feelings, we bring into form. We need to create the vision of what we want life on earth to be like. Then we need to set about creating that reality. 
in addition to empowering visions for the new earth with our every thought, word, action, and feeling, we have the ability to serve as surrogates on behalf of all humanity. Since all life is interconnected, when we lift into a higher level of consciousness or transmute an aspect of our consciousness that no longer serves our highest good, we also lift up and transmute the collective consciousness and energies of all humanity as well. As we transmute our own obsolete behavior patterns, we can ask the I am presence of every man, woman, and child to lift up their consciousness and to transmute their behavior patterns simultaneously. The universal law is simply ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Because of the intensity of the challenges humanity is going through at this time, the company of heaven asked awakened light workers around the world to utilize the collective cup of humanity's consciousness to co-create a force field of divine love that will perpetually envelop the earth and all life evolving upon her. The divine intent of this request is to greatly assist in shifting the mass consciousness of humanity by empowering the awareness of the oneness of all life in the hearts and minds of people everywhere. As this infinite comprehensive divine love floods into the hearts and minds of unawakened souls, they will be inspired to raise their heads above the chaos and confusion. They will then, at long last, be able to perceive their own light. The company of heaven has revealed that with the gifts of light we were blessed with, as we passed through the fifth dimensional lion's gate, our collective I am presences co-created a force field consisting of brand new frequencies of our Father Mother God's comprehensive divine love. This greatly intensified force field of divine love will embrace Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her until this planet is wholly ascended and free. This frequency of our Father Mother God's divine love is far more powerful in its impact on humanity's global consciousness than any of the other humanly generated force fields of energy perpetuating the serious problems facing us on this planet. It is a universal law that if the inner conditions or forces within humanity's global consciousness 
are transformed through love, the outer conditions of the world will proceed to reflect the divine plan for Mother Earth. The divine plan for Mother Earth is a living, active, all-powerful force field of God's infinite light that will produce perfection if not interfered with through the lower human free will choices. In the heavenly realms, the beings of light work purely and precisely with the great forces of cause, knowing full well that the effects will take care of themselves. Most of us are currently trying to manage the effects in our lives rather than focusing on the cause, which will truly change the situation from within. To ensure the transformation of inner conditions for humanity and Mother Earth, the company of heaven wants us to know that our I am presences have successfully consecrated our life force, and we are now the open door for the light and love of God. And so it is, beloved. I am that I am. God bless you, dear one. I look forward to being with you next week. So this day has flown by in its richness. So that I celebrate with you. And I'd like to invite you to come in now to your one self, that place where your consciousness resides in the oneness of your own being and spirit the spirit that you are within. So just take a deep breath into that place. And if you'd like, you're welcome to turn your palms up on your lap and let them receive. You may find that they begin to pulsate a little bit as you're sitting, as you're receiving the energy. This energy is special. It's healing. It's not only wonderful information and guidance and love. There is healing that comes in the energy of the channel, that comes in the energy of us being together in this beautiful family of light. People that you are sitting next to, perhaps, that you haven't met yet in this lifetime, but are part of your old soul family. And we celebrate you all being together again, giving and receiving the love in the room, opening your hearts, your minds, your cells to 
to the healing and the honor and the love that comes to us from cryon. Greetings, dear ones. I am Cryon of Magnetic Service. Twenty-five years ago, this was the potential. It was not prophecy. When I said there would be no Armageddon, there would be no World War III in the time frame that you were told. It was not prophecy. Well, the entire reason for my being and the awakening of my partner to channel me was because of what you had done. And it falls in the lap of the old soul, the consciousness of timing. All that has transpired in these years has been potential. That is to say, we come and we look at how you are thinking and the potentials of what you might do based on that. And every prophecy that I have given to you is based on that. Even some of the most obscure ones we have given you. When we told you there would be a new pope, and there was 13 months later, it was not prophecy. He was potential. We saw it coming because we had the overview. And we knew of the anxiety of the man, the health of the man, and we also knew of the potentials of a South American Pope. All of these things should be connect the dots for you. I come yet again, not with prophecy, but with information. And it comes with a congratulatory attitude. 25 years ago, I would like to have had this channel given, but you weren't ready. Now you sit in the energy we had discussed for more than 20 years. Can you imagine if you could put and superimpose upon the creative source the attributes of delight and adulation? Maybe you can use the word proud. Dear human being, this is not your father's new age. And that is the title. If you need to title, and you do, and you need to categorize, and you do, that is the subject. And the reason this is so critical is because in an assemblage like this and the ones who are listening and reading, you have what we will call warriors of light. And that describes a human being who has done this, and this meaning esoteric belief, for dozens of years. 
that you awakened to the belief, some of you, when you were born. Others of you a bit later, but you participated in an older energy. You fought the battle as a light worker in an older energy. And you got used to the way things work in an older energy. And because the planet has not changed all that much, you might have been involved in the same kind of thing the life before this one, maybe even before this one. And therefore etched upon you are what we will call the spiritual rules of existence. And now they're different. So this is for light workers and old souls. Attributes we have talked about in pieces and parts in the past. Now instead we bring you some positive things that you can do. And some what we will call admonitions of how to change. We started last week. In that city you call Austin, on a Sunday night, we started. So let us begin there. Dear ones, this is new, new energy. (laughs) A phrase you have heard perhaps for years, the new age is upon you. The new energy is arriving. Dear ones, it has arrived, and it's starting to plant its seeds. Those shamanic energies in the old soul are going to find some of these things difficult, sometimes controversial, because of only one thing, that is the habits that you have had in the past which you found to be correct and proper for you. So let us begin where we left off. In review, number one, we said that your light quotient, that is to say the amount of light that you carry, which is a metaphor for your awareness and literally the physics of your consciousness, is a higher and lighter energy than it ever was before. This is possible because of the change in the magnetic grid, because of other things that we have accomplished and the Pleiadians have accomplished for you. New tools are upon you, and new ways are waiting to be discovered. And if you go into these ways with an old energy procedure, you're going to be disappointed. We started with this one. You carry so much light, you can stop dealing with negativity, with those which you will call dark energies in the room. Let me remind you of one of the things that so many of you would do prior to a meeting, prior to a meditation. You would change the energy and posture it for spiritual thought. You would smudge it. You would pray over it. You would meditate. And then in the room, if you found a negative person or anything 
that you thought would interrupt the flow of the purity of love, you might even stop and work with that one silently. You would have your own way of creating the light you needed and erasing the negativity. And now we are saying, stop it. Why? Can't you feel why? Because you are carrying so much light that your presence in the room will not allow darkness. The reason you clear negativity is so it will not disturb the area. Think about it. If your light is so great, it's not going to get anywhere the negativity at all. Your light is so great, it will permeate everything. Now, this is new, but you have to hear it in context with the actions of a new age esoteric person. Some of you will love to do ceremony, which looks like clearing. Go ahead. But it's not necessary to clear. Now, this is controversial because you will say, look at what might have happened in a space like this. Look at all of those people who might have been negative in a place like this. Think of the meetings that have been held in a place like this. We must clear it. And we say, oh, no, you don't. If a master walked into this room, would you clear the room? And the answer is no. The master clears it. You understand? This is the lineage that is yours. Claim it. Go for it. You don't have to clear it. And that is what we said on a Sunday one week ago in Austin. Now, in the same way, number two is going to be for the healer. And there are many listening to my voice in the room, reading later. Healer, what is the process you are used to? If you are clearing before, you don't have to. Get used to it. Your presence next to the healee, the one on the table or the chair, is enough to chase away, cover completely all negativity. Now, the one in the chair may have fear. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to put together armor of any kind that is esoteric to shield you from your one on the table or in the chair. This is new. You carry a countenance that is so grand and so beautiful and so pure that nothing is going to get through. I just wanted you to know. Now, the one on the table can create their own negativity, their own unbelief, their own fear. That's not going to change. But how they affect you already has. You walk up and begin. Now, here is something we have not said before. There is an evolutionary process that is going on with human consciousness that literally affects many human beings in ways they are not aware of. We have spoken of the innate before, which is the spiritual smart body. 
That's the part of the body you muscle test to get in touch with. Now that is beginning to change. Now listen. If the human being, through free choice, has not decided to build the bridge to innate and knows nothing about it, that is their issue. But innate is changing in all humans. All humans. And that is to say spiritual awareness, if you want it, will become a higher vibration instantly, if you want it. Humans may go all their lives without ever saying hello to the innate. And they will simply be whoever they are. This is their free choice. But should they look and try to build the bridge to innate, it will be higher than the time you did. Now, let me tell you what this is creating. Dear human healer, you stand or sit, you get in front of the one in front of you who you've come to give a session for in any process at all, any process. And they may be the highest unbeliever, but their innate is active. And when you get in touch with their innate, which is your gift, healer, you are going to start seeing almost instantly what they need. What process have you used so far? You might say, well, intuition, I listen to them. I listen to what they say, what their body tells me. I want to give you information that you don't really understand. The innate is going to yell at you immediately. But there is one proviso. <laughs> I want you to have the person on your table or chair shut their eyes for a moment and answer one question. And you are going to ask a question that you want a verbal answer for. Some of you already know the question. You're going to ask this. Do you give permission? for the healing and they must answer verbally a nod is not good enough and if they answer with pure intent which you can ask for the innate has permission to talk to you this is where profound healing is going to start to occur more than you have ever seen before more you will be astonished at how right I am <laughs> about your ability, dear human being, to shine light so that negativity does not occur, not in your session, not in your session. Get rid of the idea you have to protect yourself. Not anymore. Your light is pushing out to such a degree it won't be necessary. That's for the healers, all of you. Anyone who's doing any healing work at all it's going to have this happen remember the question number three there'll never be a time in human history that is more profound than this one when it comes to how the body is listening to what you want there is a process and always has been where the cells of the body are on alert to what the boss wants. 
and you are the boss. And for years, we've been asking you to talk to your body, talk to your cellular structure. Now we're going to tell you. It's listening even when you don't remember to talk. So what are you saying? There's never been a time where negative dialogue will have more personal negative influence than now. Think of what you're saying. What is your attitude when you say it? How often do you say it? Because your body is listening. Dear light worker, it's just in reverse of what we've been telling you, how the body is listening to that which you're giving it as far as positive instructions. It is now listening to everything. Now you may say, well, that's nice. No, it's more than nice. It's profound. And it'll keep you aging if you don't pay attention. This is why we are spoken of affirmations more than positive thinking instructions to your body and it listens to you when you talk to it. I want you to think about what you're saying. When somebody asks you about your health, about your spirituality, about your intent, do you say the words, I am working on it, I am trying? Guess what? The cells on your body say, well, they're working on it and they're trying, but they don't have it. I want you to listen to yourself when you talk. Perhaps I've said enough, but almost every single one of you comes from a culture that is proud of demeaning yourself in some way. How many of you secretly say to yourself, I don't deserve it? Your actions will say, I don't deserve it. Your actions will say, I am unworthy. And you don't think your body hears this or sees it? It does. It is time to get out of the unworthy closet, like worker. Not only worthy, but alive with God inside. And don't be afraid or ashamed to say the words, I am healthy. I am healed. I am using. I am in charge of the situation. Not I'm working on it. Not I'm trying. Not it'll happen someday. That's the difference. I am worthy of happiness. I am worthy of a peaceful situation in my life. I am worthy of a solution in my life. That was number three. Number four is about meditation. It's changing. And here is how it's changing. There will start to become younger specialists. (laughs) It's going to start departing from all esoteric people should meditate to a split. There's going to be shamanic warriors 
who are meditation specialists who will guide the rest of you while you don't meditate. <laughs> Dear ones, with this kind of light and with your schedules, just being in spirit every single day is a meditation. It's hard for you to measure this. Not all of you are supposed to do the same thing. Is this a shock? The belief system that you have is not one thing for everyone. It is not generic. You are becoming specialists because of your Akash. Who you are, where you came from, what you did will guide what you do in this life to a greater degree than ever before. Watch for this young people who have decided to be the ones who go to India, the ones who decide how to meditate, what is best, and will do it for hours, and it may not be your forte. They're carrying the meditative load for you. It is new on the planet, and it's especially new when the young people will feel it first and they will not even agree among themselves. One will do it differently than another. They're meditation warriors, big M on their chest. <laughs> and some of you will see it and you'll shake your heads and you'll say, well, that isn't for me. And spirit will be on your shoulder and saying, thank you for seeing this old wise person. <laughs> It's for them. What you have for you is compassionate living, walking day by day in difficult situations and creating a passionate countenance with compassion, with lack of anger. All the things we have talked about, the work that you're doing will be different from theirs. Now we're getting to specialization. Don't be surprised when it's not the same for everyone. That was number four. Dear ones, some of you are shaking your heads and saying, well, does that mean we're not supposed to meditate? How linear can you get? <laughs> I want you to be comfortable. I want you to understand this. Human beings want higher authority to tell them what to do and how to do it. That is starting to change. Can't you feel it? Getting out of the mold of authority. The greatest authority is the creative seed in you. Your intuition is going to give you the answer and it's going to play into the next one, number five. Your intuition will tell you how long to meditate, if at all, and what to do when you do it. And you don't have to turn to somebody and say, is this okay? Those days are over. Dear ones, yes, there will be leaders in the esoteric community. Let them lead with their love and their compassion, not with their information of how you're supposed to do something. Let them lead with examples of what is happening on the planet to help you understand how empowered you are. Not to tell you what to do and how to do it. Or a doctrine that you should believe in. Let that come from the creative source inside you. 
and you'll be right. You'll be right. And that leads us to number five. Now, if you want to look at the numerology, number five would be change. I want you to acknowledge, be comfortable with, and accept change that is chemical in your body. I want you to acknowledge, honor, and accept change which is psychological in your body. Your Akash is going to start delivering to you some very different and wise information. As your vibration starts to increase, you're going to find who you thought you were may change. Habits, good and bad, will drop away. Good and bad. And in the process, the human being will go into fear. Isn't that interesting? Every single time there's a shift in what you're used to, you get afraid. This is a change in perception. I would like you to start welcoming the change in your life and see it in a positive way to realign you to the energy so you can survive and stay alive. You're going to get new habits, good and bad. <laughs> and they're going to come right out of your Akash. And you're going to say, now, where did that come from? And you're going to have to work with them. You're going to love the good ones. Now, the good ones will actually sometimes come in a way that is what you're going to want to eat. A change in diet that may shock and surprise you and you lose weight or gain weight. Whatever you ask for, which is most healthy for your body. The Akash is starting to align itself with how many lifetimes have you been in a culture that ate a certain way. That's what your chemistry wants now. How about that? Instead of fast food, how about that? And how many of you are going to go with it or go into fear with it? What I want you to do is relax and let spirit start to build in you the new human. You know what we have called this? A process nobody expected. Ascension while alive. This is you passing into the next energy while you're alive. And that took reincarnation before. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You had to die, come back, realign in order to do what now we are saying you can do while you sit there if you won't be afraid of it. Your innate has got to be reprogrammed. We told you this before. And you're doing it through affirmations. You're doing it through positive thoughts and by the actions you have. Innate is used to an old idea that reincarnation is the engine for enlightenment. You've got to die and come back to have the new energy and now you don't.
Well, here we are gathered, and we are truly all servants of peace in this world. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tigard said, what are you doing? And we're here doing this. We are speaking to mother. Greetings, mother. Greetings. In the light of the most radiant eye. In the office of the Christ, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke the loving energies Saint Germain and the Violet Flame. We ask at this time, Mother. For the sound of peace, for the sound of war is over, and for the sound of justice, seasoned with divine mercy and compassion, and freedom for all, and beauty for all that it can be to infuse into the earth, into every human soul on this planet and beyond. To all life as it is everywhere. So mote it be. Mother. Greeting, children of Ra. Yes, let the sound of peace be that sound from our hearts. As you are hearing, things are shifting faster than we are shedding fur. And take a look at the moon out there. Oh my. Yes. It's a super moon. Yes. It is today. And happy birthday, Padme. 
<laughs> Happy birthday, Commander. <laughs> it's just about midnight, uh, the 13th in the Eastern time zone. Just four minutes away. Lot of wild energies happening because of the upliftment in the energy fields happening. As Patty was saying, Commander Cryon, we are in that moment, we have the power to shift this with love right now. All it takes forgiving oneself for whatever may have happened in any space-time continuum. Hmm. We are in a moment here. As everything is coming to this closure of the old timeline of our wayward children, what's happened over the eons of time, this new frequency of this new divine plan, heaven on earth, heaven in earth already taking place as you go about your day. Look at the geometric patterns in the sky, on your hands, on your car, your cat, your dog, your horse. Mm -hmm. Everything is in divine orchestration with this cosmic dance. All the kingdoms are speaking to us. Like Cryon said, talk to yourselves. How many trillions of cells are in this temple of living? radiance of such magic and magnificence. It's a big deal as we were to explore inside here. It's as exciting as what's in space. <coughs> we know so little about this magical machine 
temple of the living God, goddess, all there is. This is the key, this temple. Gotta keep it going. That's how you get through the heart into wherever you wish to go. We are being shown the wisdom how to create our own Merkaba vehicles. As we take that wisdom, we can travel the universe as we always have. It's an ongoing story, the never-ending story of life itself. This great circle of life, it's taking place as we speak, and we are shifting with it. It is awesome to be whole because we are changing this story right in the moment, even as the old timeline still playing itself out. As the bones say, we must go through this and the cycle is completed. We pass this way eight hundred. We pass this way twenty six thousand eight hundred and twenty six years ago. We're back. Everybody's back. And This time is done with law, and we must take our children to where this story began a long, long time ago, not so far, far away. Orion it is not that far away in terms of light years. Mm. The completion of this, you're watching it in the moment. This incident here, if you have not heard, 
Arthur, author Salmon Rushdie stabbed on stage and on BBC radio they said it was three times stabbed in the neck yes uh, before a lecture in New York suspect identified and in custody a preliminary review of his social media shows the suspect had sympathies for Shia extremism uh, and for Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Wow. It is part of the old timeline that has to go. The old gods are in their twilight. This is why we're here. And so many others from all the various realms to complete this story. We are all equal in creator sources eyes, no matter where we come from, and whether we swim or fly or teleport or have whatever means to convey our expression of love and ecstasy and joy. This whole process has completed itself and we must take heed. The sun is giving us the signs like the last time around, the sun was giving the signs. Conveniently, maybe inconveniently, some other folks on earth were not notified of the imminent changes. These Eminent changes are here now in our midst. It is called climate disruption, conflict, consciousness being raised to the super consciousness level. We are all creator goddesses and gods of the most high. It would make logical sense we would get to this place at this time. How we forgive our wayward children. That's in any given moment with our own shadow stuff set it aside send it into the violet flame let it go hmm. it is 
this auspicious moment we've been given and time as we know that word space time each moment is in this now moment time is speeding up the force is saying to us merge with the energy stay in the now moment and you will always be on time so to speak all we have is this now moment as we stay in that moment everything falls and folds into place very quickly instantaneously it is very simple what we have created here is the complex story of the old timeline the matrix that has ended put it to bed along with the old energies what's unfolding and we can just say we are all awesome to behold as cryon says that light is pouring forth right now as we choose to stay in it the radiance continues it happens whether we choose or not every particle of life is being lifted up to that cosmic consciousness level it would be in our best interest to embrace it rather than run from it no escaping it is part of what is occurring here and now it's this blink of the eye of the universe that is just say stay right here everything is all right
think about that one. <laughs> they say uh, Salmon Rush Day is going to lose one eye. Yes. yes. There is these. It reminds me, Ron Pilger said, or no, what's his first name? John Pilger. John Pilger said we're living in the most dangerous time right now. Yes. War is never the answer. And this idea of something that is not in balance. It's a concept that our wayward children stuck into the matrix to play with our minds a long, long time ago. Universe is perfect. We are perfect radiant beings that radiate the magnificence of the light that this sun is pouring down on us right now as we can ask the light pouring into our cells, talk to the cells, and will speak back. I have the wisdom. It's an ongoing process. It takes great energy to take these simple concepts. It's great energy to let go of the preconceived trappings and BS that we have been filled with for so many eons to get past, to stay in this one now moment. That's all we ask. Everything else falls into place. What about the, uh, um, the, I want to say, fact that the guns won't work at some point? As the collective frequencies of this of what we are part of this quantum field as we hold that vision radiance there is no harm and there is no need to create conflict what is the conflict What we could speak of is this concept of 
magnetic frequency and the radiance that is pouring forth from creator source it is about the oneness of this now moment as we can imagine or visualize see yourself in that oneness the silence of experiencing the light of the sun pouring into every cell radiating that frequency of love 528 hertz it changes everything in this moment all these tones vibrations sounds we have the ability to shift this story like we keep being told by various folks use the force take the wisdom we have the power to do this we better be on our way got miles to go before we sleep okay mother we're definitely going to play Amy and then we're going to play um, Billy Carson, Carson on uh, the power of DNA. DNA. It's the key. It's how this story started. It's the building blocks of life, the universe, and everything. In this one now moment, send forgiveness and compassion, love for all these souls that have played with their shadows. It's completing itself in the moment. And as we are ascending, our task is to send more love. It's how we get through this, the eye of the needle, which could be as large as a black hole. And we come out the other side, it's a white hole and it continues. There's no end to the universes. Hmm, what an adventure. Greetings in the land of the most radiant one. Thank you, Mother. I'll take you for being all that you 
Oh. Yeah, steadfast as we go, Mother. As with the radiance of the full moon. Oh. Fill you up. It is so powerful. It's absolutely <coughs> gorgeous. It's right there in our faces here. Radiance in the light. Of the most radiant one. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Shabbat. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Shabbat. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Shabbat. Iliahu, Iliahu, Iliahu. Yod, hey. Vod he, Yava, Adonai Vasu, Varagas. Namaste, Mother. Just need to wait a bit, everybody. Rama's way out there somewhere. <laughs> mm. Hi, Rama. Oh. <laughs> Where did you go to the moon? <laughs> no. Where did you go? <gasps> I was on the New Jerusalem. And? In a briefing room. Oh. And there were many hundreds of people there. I don't know many of them. It's like a whole crowd of folks. And Who was doing the briefing? Commander Klala. Oh. And I have not seen him address the briefings in many, many moons. So this is a big deal. Tell people who Klala is again. Remind them. Klala is one of the galactic historians that comes from Aldebaran. And um, he's I don't know when he started or when he, let's just say he's been around forever, like mother. Okay. <laughs> One of the great silent watchers, galactic historians, galactic record keepers. Uh, it's a big deal. Okay. So are you going to tell us what he was Talking, talking, he was speaking about the power of when we send radiant frequencies out of the rose-colored ray, mm. it changes physical matter and space and time. And this is what is being... He is just saying, send more love. That rose 
rose quartz kind of energy love to all the troubled spots on the planet right now and see that rose light just pouring into these areas of and smell the fragrance of a rose yeah air blooming as the song goes and it brings in lady master mother mary mary magdalene the marys and the merlins they're all here <laughs> okay so and rama why don't you cue cue up for the next thing yeah. while we start this okay here we go here we go everyone dude Democracy now, now. Deep free speech can be empowered by the people. convicted a former worker at Twitter of spying for Saudi Arabia by providing the kingdom private information about Saudi dissidents. We'll speak to the sister of an imprisoned Saudi man who was tortured in jail for running a satirical Twitter account. My brother is making a blocking cut from his office more than four years ago and was placed under a process of appearance, uh, brutally tortured and sentenced to 20 years of imprisonment for tweeting. Plus, we speak to Walton Dallow, long-time Filipino activist and former vice presidential candidate. He was arrested Monday on cyber libel charges just weeks after the inauguration of the Philippines' new president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., son of the former U.S. back dictator. Dallow says his arrest was masterminded by the Philippines' new vice president, Sarah Duterte, the daughter of the former president, Rodrigo Duterte. All that and more coming up. <laughs> Welcome to Democracy Now! DemocracyNow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Attorney General Eric Garland has asked a federal judge to unseal the warrant the FBI used in its August 8th search of former President Donald Trump's estate in Florida. Garland announced the request Thursday as he delivered his first public comment since Trump said the FBI had searched his Mar-a-Lago residence Monday. The department filed the motion to make public the warrant and receipt in light of the former president's public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter. Attorney General Garland said he personally approved the warrant and condemned verbal attacks on the FBI and Justice Department by Trump and his allies. The Washington Post reports the FBI is seeking, among other things, highly classified documents about U.S. nuclear weapons. Hours after Garland's remarks, Donald Trump said in a statement he encouraged the immediate unsealing of the warrant. If Trump is proven to have mishandled classified documents, he could be guilty of a felony. 
In 2018, then-President Trump signed a bill upgrading the crime from a misdemeanor to a felony while increasing punishments for those who mishandle classified information. In Ohio, a man wearing body armor and armed with an AR-15-style assault rifle fired a nail gun into an FBI field office in Cincinnati Thursday, prompting a gun battle chase and armed standoff that ended hours later when the gunman was shot dead by police in a cornfield. Officials identified the man as 42-year-old Ricky Schiffer, a supporter of Donald Trump and the far-right Proud Boys. Two days before Thursday's attack on the FBI, Schiffer posted on Trump's Truth Social online forum calling on allies to, quote, kill the FBI on sight, unquote. Schiffer also appears in a video posted to Facebook on January 5th, 2021, showing him at a pro-Trump rally in Washington, D.C. the night before the assault on the Capitol, and he boasted online he was at the insurrection. The FBI's execution of a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago last week has spawned extremely violent rhetoric among Trump supporters. The pro-Trump gateway pundit website declared, this means war, a message echoed by Trump's former top political advisor, Steve Bannon, who declared, the FBI is the Gestapo, unquote. Today is the fifth anniversary of the deadly 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where a self-described neo-Nazi he slammed his car into a crowd of anti-racist counter-protesters, killing Heather Heyer and injuring dozens of others. A federal court in Washington, D.C. has sentenced a former police officer, Thomas Robertson, to more than seven years in prison over his role in the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. Robertson had served as a police officer in Rocky Mount, Virginia. A month prior to the insurrection, Robertson called for an open armed rebellion. Another former Rocky Mountain police officer, Jacob Frapper, is being sentenced today. Meanwhile, newly revealed documents show officials of the Department of Homeland Security tried to warn Congress last April that text messages sent by Secret Service agents around the time of the January 6th insurrection were missing. But their attempts were thwarted by the DHS Inspector General Joseph Kafari, a Donald Trump appointee. The revelation prompted renewed calls for Kafari to resign. President Biden has not ruled out firing him. The Centers for Disease Control has further relaxed its guidelines on COVID-19. The CDC's new recommendations further shift the onus to individuals rather than public health measures to reduce the risks of catching the disease. The CDC no longer recommends people remain at least six feet apart, no longer recommends quarantine for people who've been exposed to an infected person. On Thursday, a CDC epidemiologist told reporters, quote, we know that COVID-19 is here to stay, unquote. More than 48,000 people are currently hospitalized with COVID-19 across the United States, where the disease continues to kill more than 3,300 people each week. The International Atomic Energy Agency is calling on Russia and Ukraine to immediately halt fighting around Europe's largest nuclear power plant. On Thursday, Ukraine reported at least 10 Russian shells exploded near the sprawling Zaporizhia nuclear complex, the latest in a series of attacks that have threatened to trigger a nuclear catastrophe. In Kyiv, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said Thursday Russia had taken the whole world hostage. Russia has again hit the bottom in the world history of terrorism. No one else has used a nuclear power plant so obviously to threaten the whole world and to put forward some conditions.
Earlier today, Russia's ambassador to the United Nations said he does not support international calls for a demilitarized zone around the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. Elsewhere in Ukraine, residents of Kharkiv continue to come under heavy shelling with people reporting missiles striking a crowded neighborhood Thursday. There are no military vehicles here. It's the center of Kharkiv. People live here. It's usually very quiet, with no military objects nearby. I have no idea why our yard was shelled. Meanwhile, Russia's foreign ministry has acknowledged for the first time it's negotiating with the Biden administration for a prisoner swap that could see jailed U.S. citizens Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan freed from Russian penal colonies. President Biden said the news left him hopeful the prisoner swap could soon be completed. The Pentagon says it carried out three airstrikes in Somalia Tuesday that killed four al-Shabaab fighters. It was the second time in recent weeks that U.S. Central Command announced airstrikes in Somalia. Elsewhere, five people were killed and 100 others injured Thursday as Somali government forces clashed with demonstrators in towns across the breakaway region of Somaliland. Witnesses said security forces used clubs and live fire to attack protesters who were calling on the Somali leader, Mews Bihiabdi, not to delay presidential elections in November. This comes as the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees said it recently registered the one millionth person displaced by Somalia's devastating drought, which has led to widespread crop failure and the death of livestock since January 2021. The UN says the number of Somalis facing hunger is expected to rise to more than 7 million in the coming months due to the effects of the climate crisis and rising food prices caused by the Russian war on Ukraine. In southwestern France, more than 10,000 people have been forced to evacuate a massive wildfire that continues to burn out of control near the city of Bordeaux. Firefighters from Austria, Greece, Germany, Poland, and Romania have joined some 10,000 French firefighters battling the blaze. This comes as much of Europe continues to bake in an unprecedented heat wave. Meanwhile, wildfires are raging in central Portugal and parts of the United Kingdom are again under an extreme heat warning. In Brazil, Thousands of people took to the streets of cities across the country Thursday in defense of democracy after far-right President Jair Bolsonaro threatened to reject the results of October's first-round presidential election if he loses. Former leftist Brazilian president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who is running again, currently leads in the polls. Bolsonaro has been claiming without evidence Brazil's electronic voting system is vulnerable. This is a protester in Rio de Janeiro. We are here to ask for free elections, free education, and improvements for our people, because our people cannot be dying of hunger. In more news from Brazil, police have arrested another five people linked to the June murders of British journalist Dom Phillips and Brazilian indigenous rights advocate Bruno Pereira. Authorities also identified one of the suspects in the murder as the leader of an illegal fishing organized crime group in the Amazon region. Phillips and Pereira went missing in Brazil's Javari Valley in June. Their remains were found dismembered about two weeks later. You can go to democracynow.org to see our interview with indigenous lawyer Eliasio Maruba in Brasilia about calls to independently investigate their murders. And the San Francisco Chronicle reports at least seven employees with the San Francisco District Attorney's Office have resigned since Brooke Jenkins was appointed DA in July. 
She replaced former progressive DA Chesa Boudin, who was ousted by voters in June in a multi-million dollar funded special recall election led by the real estate industry. Fifteen other staff members were fired following the recall election. Jenkins said she volunteered in Boudin's recall efforts, but it has now been revealed that she received over $100,000 as a consultant for a nonprofit called Neighbors for a Better San Francisco linked to efforts targeting Boudin, who aimed to reform the criminal justice system but faced mounting attacks by the real estate industry. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Monday will mark one year since the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan as the U.S. withdrew troops nearly two decades after the 2001 U.S. invasion. Afghanistan today is facing what the United Nations says is the world's largest humanitarian disaster with more than half the country's residents facing starvation. Meanwhile, the Taliban continues to crack down on human rights and has barred girls from attending high school for the past year. The Taliban is also facing accusations of harboring leaders of al-Qaeda. Last week, the United States announced it had killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri in a drone strike in downtown Kabul. This all comes as Afghanistan is facing a dire economic crisis, in part because the Biden administration sees $7 billion of Afghanistan foreign reserves held in U.S. banks. We're joined now by the award-winning reporter Matthew Akins, who's reported on Afghanistan since 2008. He was in Kabul last year when the city fell to the Taliban, and he returned to Afghanistan in May to report on current conditions. He's just written a piece for the New York Times magazine titled the Taliban's dangerous collision course with the West. Earlier this year, Matt Akins published his first book, The Naked Don't Fear the Water, An Underground Journey with Afghan Refugees. Matt Akins, welcome back to Democracy Now! Why don't you lay out your findings as we mark this first year of Afghanistan's fall to the Taliban? Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me, as always. I went back in order to understand what had happened during the Taliban's first year in power. And as you recall, the girls' school issue was really a litmus test for whether they had changed, whether they would govern differently this time than they did during their first government in the 90s, where they didn't allow women to be educated. And they did allow girls to go back to elementary schools, to universities, but they hadn't opened the girls' public high schools yet. They had promised to do so. Um, they said it was just temporary. And this was going to happen on March 23rd, which was the first day of class for Afghan schools. And the girls went to school. They were filmed going to class because it was supposed to be a hopeful day. And then work came out that day that no, the schools wouldn't open. The girls were sent home crying. It was uh, an embarrassing debacle for the government. And I remember at the time not just being, not only being very disappointed and heartbroken, but, but baffled. Why would the Taliban change their mind at the last minute like this? So that's what I went back to find out. And in my interviews and meetings with Taliban officials in Kabul, including at the education ministry, what I actually discovered was that many of them had been in favor of reopening the girls' schools. They saw it, you know, as something that was very much in their interest, um, not, not least because the international community was, you know, spending billions of dollars to avert humanitarian disaster in Afghanistan. So they had prepared a plan to reopen the schools, but 
at the last minute, word came from Kandahar uh, that the schools would not reopen because it turned out that it wasn't really up to the officials in Kabul. The true power in the movement lies in Kandahar with the Supreme Leader and the Leadership Council. So who really controls um, what's happening in Afghanistan within the Taliban? Well, you know, it's really interesting how mysterious and opaque some of this decision-making is. Even some of the senior Taliban officials that I spoke to, you know, admitted to me in private that they weren't fully sure how these decisions were being made or what exactly the role of the supreme leader, Sheikh Haibatullah, was. But in essence, the, to understand how power works in the Taliban, you have to look back at the first government in the 90s when you had sort of two governments. You had the formal cabinet in Kabul, and then you had another government led by the then the Supreme Leader, Mullah Omar, who never left Kandahar, who stayed in Kandahar and governed with a close council or shura of other senior Taliban leaders, a kind of shadow government. Now that became the leadership of the insurgency for the last 20 years when they went underground, Pakistan, became known as the Quetta Shura. And then after the Taliban suddenly seized power last summer, which is something that surprised even them, um, that government became grafted onto the current Kabul administration. So you have the Supreme Leader in Kandahar, you have a small group around him that operates based on consensus, and some of the hardliners in that group who were opposed to reopening girls' schools essentially were able to block what much of the officials in, in Kabul uh, including some of the deputies like Siraj Akhani, uh, Moli uh, Yakub, the defense minister, they were in favor of reopening girls' schools, but the hardliners, in essence, blocked it. Talk about Afghanistan overall, Kabul and the more rural areas, and what this divide looks like, how it's playing out, and then we'll get into this humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, uh, perhaps the worst in the world as so much of the country faces hunger. So the Taliban, again, in their first government in the 90s, they were really trying to bring back this idea of the virtuous village lifestyle. This is a time of chaos and corruption in the Civil War, and in these rural villages, which are very conservative, particularly in the South, in Pashtun areas, women don't really leave the house. It's a very strictly gender-segregated society, and this is the model that they tried to impose across Afghan society as a whole in the 90s, with a lot of repression and brutality. And today, there's a battle playing out within the movement over whether that vision still holds, and the fact of the matter is, that even if the Taliban haven't changed, Afghan society has changed dramatically in the last 20 years. You know, millions of girls have gone to school and been educated. Their families have seen the benefits of that education. And some of the more pragmatic Taliban that I spoke to in Kabul, they really understand that that reality has changed and they're trying to adapt as well. They have their own strict Islamist vision, but they see that girls can go to school, they can go to the office, as long as they're veiled, as long as they're separated from men. So. That is essentially the tension between, you could say, the city and the countryside is playing out within the Taliban movement itself. And unfortunately for now, we see the hardliners have won. But it is important to remember that there is, there is uh, you know, these internal dynamics within the movement that hopefully could lead to more reform in the future. According to the United Nations, nearly 1.1 million Afghan children under the age of five are expected to experience severe malnutrition this year. This is Melanie Galvin, the chief of nutrition at UNICEF, speaking in Kabul. 
I think we need, in the longer term, we're still going to need a great deal of funding to just treat these children. In 2023, I will have a problem, I will have a gap in, in supply, for example, if there isn't um, additional resources that come into the country. So we've done everything we can with the donations we've had, and we're so grateful for them. Um, but this need will continue. It's not going to stop. So according to the UN, half the population faces hunger. Talk about the resources that Taliban have access to. Uh, for example, the U.S. freezing billions of dollars of Afghan money and what that means, how that plays out in Afghanistan. Sure. Well, I think it's important to understand that even though the U.S. and its allies spent more than $100 billion on development aid in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, it remained one of the poorest and most aid-dependent countries in the world. And that was in part due to all the corruption that flourished with this uncontrolled spending, much of it by contractors. And so when that aid was suddenly cut off after the Taliban seized power last August, it had the predictable consequence of causing an economic collapse, government salaries are going unpaid, teachers, medical workers. So the country is now facing a dire economic crisis. Um, it's being kept on humanitarian life support by a massive humanitarian surge. There's now more aid workers working for these agencies in Afghanistan today than there was before uh, the collapse of the government last August, the withdrawal of U.S. forces. And that means that the U.S. and its allies are actually funding and, and, and these humanitarian efforts are cooperating with the Taliban. But of course, the U.S. did also seize the Afghan bank assets that were held uh, in the U.S., $7 billion, and they've earmarked half of that for victims of 9-11 and their families. Now, that puts the U.S. in a funny position because it, it is so once both uh, the largest funder of humanitarian efforts in Afghanistan and one of the main causes of the humanitarian crisis with these sanctions. So what is the U.S. doing with that money? Right now, it's on ice, and there's talk about um, returning the other three and a half billion dollars to the Afghan, you know, to Afghans. Now they haven't; they're not going to give it to the Taliban, but they're in negotiations right now to set up maybe some sort of trust fund or something like that that could be used to recapitalize the financial sector. But one of the big problems facing Afghanistan today is that its economy is paralyzed by these sanctions. Um, and a lot of other knock-on effects, you know, other banks don't want to do business with Afghan banks because of some very genuine concerns, for example, over terrorism and money laundering. But what that means, in essence, is that the Afghan economy isn't able to stand on its own feet. Uh, it's dependent right now on external aid. The UN is actually flying in pallets of $100 bills more than a billion dollars to date that they're flying into Kabul, and that's essentially keeping the economy on life support. But you know, one of the interesting things that I realized after this last year since the collapse of the Republic is that, in a sense, for the U.S.'s allies, the crisis in Afghanistan has been contained somewhat. You know, it's been contained through this massive humanitarian surge through these agencies that are cleaning up after political messes, not just in Afghanistan, but in places like Somalia uh, or Yemen. It's, it's feeding Afghans hand to mouth. The migration flows of you know refugees to Europe have been contained by all the border walls that have helped cage Afghans inside this, their country. So even despite the massive suffering in Afghanistan, I think that there's a sense it's been contained. And in a, in a, 
and strangely, the Taliban have played a stabilizing role in that. And I think there's been an actually a normalization of the relationships with a lot of countries in the region who see the Taliban as possibly just keeping a lid on things in Afghanistan. Talk about the U.S. drone killing of Zawahri. Were you surprised by this, the uh, killing of the al-Qaeda leader? Um, and the uh, fact that he was in a house owned by Qatani and what that means? Yeah, I, mean, I used to go jogging basically right by that street when I, every morning when I was a call. The mornings I got up early enough anyway. And so it's right in the middle of the city. And it was surprising to see the drone strike there in the house that used to be rented by uh, U.S. aid contractors, actually, and in an area that was occupied by warlords after 2001. But this really does show the limits of that, that, that containment strategy that I just spoke about. And the fact of the matter is that if, the, if Afghanistan again becomes a threat to its neighbors, as it did in the 90s because of groups like al-Qaeda, then you could see a, you know, intervention uh, on the side of the armed resistance to the Taliban that could spark a new cycle of the civil war. Uh, but at the same time, I do think that it's important to remember that these groups have a long-standing relation with the Taliban. Uh, they got closer, actually, when they jointly resisted the U.S. occupation in the last 20 years. And so the Taliban kind of are in kind of a tricky place where they, they can't reject these groups, um, but they, they can't send them elsewhere, obviously. So it's possible that by keeping al-Zawahri in Kabul, it was a way of keeping him um, under supervision, but we really don't know the details. I was told by a senior U.S. official that according to their information, much of the Taliban leadership was actually unaware that al-Zawahri was in Kabul, and that it was a work of a faction connected to Haqqani, the interior ministry, um, in sheltering him. Again, um, uh, Haqqani is the, is the interior minister. That's right, yeah. Sarajin Nakani, who is, you know, long been held to be one of the fiercest opponents of the U.S., who's responsible for many attacks, is designated as a, as a terrorist by the FBI, has a bounty on his head, and also happens to be one of the most socially, quote-unquote, progressive of the Taliban. Uh, he and the group around him, who occupy many ministries in Kabul, uh, have been some of the most vocal proponents of letting the girls go back to school, have helped out a lot of aid agencies and they've had trouble with other elements of the Taliban over their female workers. So it just shows the, the very difficult contradictions at play in the country and I think the need for understanding better the dynamics there. Um, finally, you spend a good amount of time in your piece uh, highlighting maternal health care. The Taliban has a contradiction because on the one hand, uh, many in the leadership, a number, don't want girls and women educated, but they only allow women doctors and nurses to deal with women in maternity hospitals. Talk about this. Yeah, so... So that's the, 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 the irony, in essence, because they only need women to deal with women. Um, they need women doctors, which means you need women teachers. And so there'll always be this core of educated Afghan women. Even in the 90s, the Taliban you know, allowed doctors, female doctors, to continue working in, in some areas. So today you have women working. You have a lot of women working in Afghanistan. I know that was important. Important to show. I went to this hospital, which is being supported by the, the Red Cross, the ICRC, and I met these women doctors who are doing you know, heroic, life-saving work. They're, they're helping women who 
are coming in now from more distant rural areas because there's peace in Afghanistan, at least. There's, there's, there's security on the roads. And so women are coming in in really rough condition from places that, where they would have just died at home. They're saving their lives. These women are working hard. But the fact of the matter is, is if you don't allow girls to go back to high school, then you're not going to have girls in university. You're not going to have girls in medical school. And eventually this pipeline of Afghanistan's nurses and doctors, um, women doctors, are going is going to run out. And so... That's really, I think, the most compelling reason. It's not for international aid or Western approval that the Taliban should allow girls to go back to school. It's for their own country's interests. It's for the sake of their own daughters. And I think that there are some people in the Taliban who understand that. Uh, they've been blocked by the hardliners. But we can, we can only hope that, um, especially with internal pressure from the many Afghans who are, who are speaking up in favor of women's rights, that they will see the light and allow the girls to go back to school. Finally, Matthew Aikens, um, 20 years, more than 20 years after the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, they left and left it, would you say, in worse shape than the U.S. when they invaded Afghanistan? And how do Afghans feel about this? Well, I think it's unfair to say that it's in worse shape than it was in 2001 when the country was ravaged, destroyed, impoverished. There have been a lot of gains over the last 20 years. Afghans have you know, rebuilt their country themselves, but it came at such a high price in terms of bloodshed and suffering, the damage that the war did to the fabric of society, the, the refugees. So the fact of the matter is that today Afghanistan is again in crisis, but we don't have the same tools to deal with them. We're not occupying anymore militarily. Afghan girls are no longer poster child children for our war there. And there's a limit to what we can accomplish, but I don't think that means that our our obligation to the country has disappeared. I think that we still need to keep the spotlight at Afghanistan. We still need to do all that we can to support Afghans outside the country and especially inside of the country who are uh, still struggling. And, and that includes the girls who want to high school. And so we absolutely need to, to keep our relationship alive with this country. Matthew Aikens. Contributing writer for the New York Times Magazine, author of The Naked Don't Fear the Water, an underground journey with Afghan refugees. We'll link to your new article, The Taliban's Dangerous Collision Course with the West. Coming up, a jury in California is convicted of a former Twitter worker of spying for Saudi Arabia by providing the kingdom private information about Saudi dissidents. We'll speak with the sister of an imprisoned Saudi man who was tortured and jailed for running a satirical Twitter account. It was anonymous. Stay with us.
Afghanistan by Ensemble Kabul. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. A jury in California has convicted a former Twitter employee of spying for Saudi Arabia. By providing the kingdom private information about Saudi dissidents, prosecutors accused the man, Aman Abuamo, of taking hundreds of thousands of dollars from a close aide of Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in exchange for information about 6,000 Twitter accounts. One of the accounts belonged to the Saudi aid worker, Abdurrahman al-Sadhan, who ran an anonymous satirical account uh, critical of the Saudi kingdom. Four years ago, he was abducted by the secret Saudi police, tortured and sentenced to 20 years in prison. The jury's decision comes just weeks after President Biden traveled to Saudi Arabia to meet with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The two men greeted each other with a fist bump. We're joined now by Abdurrahman al-Sadhan's sister, Arij al-Sadhan, as well as Jim Walden, who's an attorney for the al-Sadhan family. Arij, let's begin with you. Talk about what happened to your brother and how this relates to this jury finding this Twitter worker guilty of providing information about Twitter users to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so when I first heard the verdict, I couldn't help but think about the suffering that my brother have went through all these years and the suffering of my family and the many other families who are a victim of this um, hacking. Uh, so uh, four years ago, more than four years ago, my brother was kidnapped uh, from his work uh, at the Red Cross in Riyadh and uh, disappeared for years and deprived of any communication or even access to legal counsel. During his disappearance, he was brutally tortured with electric shocks, beating, sleep deprivation. They broke his hand and smashed his finger, saying, this is the hand you tweet with. My brother ended up in the intensive care unit for days, for almost a week, fighting for his life as a result of the torture. And only after three years of disappearance and held without any charge, he was brought to a secret sham trial where he got sentenced to 20 years imprisonment, followed by 20 years trouble ban for running a satirical Twitter account. Uh, that same Twitter account was uh, was part of the, the uh, Saudi government uh, list of uh, Twitter accounts that they wanted to, to hack. And um, as we've seen from this case, um, this verdict it represents a step forward towards accountability, but yet still it's not justice because my brother still disappeared. We have no communication whatsoever with my brother at all. We've been deprived completely from any communication with my brother. He's been in health and solitary confinement for years, uh, deprived of any contact with us at all. So what kind of recourse do you have right now? And have you been in touch with the Biden administration, not to mention um, the leadership at Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've been in uh, contact with the U.S. officials continuously about my brother's case. Um, the recent visit uh, of President Biden to Saudi Arabia, it, it, unfortunately, there, there haven't been any improvement to human rights. My brother continued to be disappeared. We haven't been able to communicate with him at all. Um, instead, um, from President Biden promising to improve human rights and make human rights the center of, of, foreign, of his foreign policy, uh, instead he rewarded MBS with a fist bump, basically validating MBS on the world stage, emboldening MBS 
to commit more human rights abuses against our families, our loved ones, and against many innocent people. Uh, it is really terrifying for us and many other victims out there of this brutal regime. Um, and unfortunately, so far, we haven't heard any news or any update about my brother's case. He continued to be disappeared. We have no communication whatsoever with my brother. In a statement, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of California, Stephanie Hines, said, quote, In this case, the government demonstrated and the jury found that Abuamo violated a sacred trust to keep private personal information from Twitter's customers and sold private customer information to a foreign government. As this case demonstrates, we will not tolerate the misuse of personal information or attempts by foreign governments to recruit secret malign agents at American technology companies. Do you hold out hope that this will be the case? I absolutely hold hope for definitely. Um, and uh, just to mention, Abu Amu is only the sentence, uh, the sentence of a much bigger problem. Uh, the targeting of activists and anyone who is at all uh, is speaking up or, or uh, doing any human rights activism uh, is very risky from, you know, the, the Saudi government will target anyone and will use any means they can. As we've seen, they've used a, a U.S. company here based in the U.S. Um, to target activists in the U.S. and also in other places around the world. Part of that, they will go to links to kidnap people, even murder people to silence them. Um, so uh, the, the Abu Amu is one, only one person, but there are many others out there who are still free and who are still targeting people. Uh, and as we've seen, Abu Amu received orders directly from Badr al-Asakr, who is the right-hand man of MBS, um, asking him personally to, to hack these accounts and to leak their personal information. If that didn't happen, my brother wouldn't be in prison today, tortured and disappeared, and deprived of any communication with us completely. So the risks are really high. And as even me as personally for speaking up, um, I get targeted and harassed continuously online by Saudi agents who are trying to silence me so I don't speak about the human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia. Jim Walden, uh, what responsibility does Twitter have in protecting users' information about abusive regimes? After reaching the verdict, one juror uh, reportedly told uh, Abu Amo's lawyers that she wanted Twitter to bear, quote, a little more responsibility for this. Well, first of all, Amy, thank you for having me on. And I would say that Twitter and other social media companies uh, have more than a little responsibility for what's happening, not just with respect to Abdul Rahman's case and the case of other disappeared uh, Saudi uh, human rights activists and, and outspoken dissidents, but across a much broader array of misconduct. I mean, let's be clear. These social media companies have set up Trojan forces here on U.S. soil. This is not Fancy Bear in a bunker outside of Moscow or a similar bunker outside of Riyadh. This is uh, domains here in the United States that are being invaded by mal-actors uh, for lots of different purposes, whether it is to influence our elections, to commit fraud, uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, enhance transnational repression, as was true with respect to Abdul Rahman. Uh, and if the social media companies cannot police themselves and cannot put up structures to prevent this kind of action from happening, not even outside of their 
businesses inside their businesses, then Congress needs to act with more uh, uh, robustness and verve to create regulations to require social media companies to have a meaningful compliance system, if you will, an internal police force to guard against this kind of action happening again. Uh, speaking to the New York Times, a Twitter spokesperson said the company cooperated with law enforcement during the trial of Ahmad Abuamo. Twitter security executive Self Wilson testified at the trial that Abuamo's breach of users' confidential information had been inappropriate after the verdict was delivered. Wilson tweeted, been a long road to get this conviction. Appreciate the efforts of so many to, to see that justice was done. Um, how high up was, I mean, while it was tried to, uh, some tried to say this is a low-level Twitter employee, um, it looks like, uh, looking at the New York Times, um, lawyers for Mr. Abuamo described him as merely a Twitter employee who'd been doing his job. Other media partnership managers, other media partnership managers at Twitter also develop close relationships with influential people who use the platform and provided white glove service, helping them become verified on Twitter, handling their complaints about impersonators and troublesome accounts. Uh, can you talk more about their responsibility? I, I can. And the only thing that I agree with him about is that the Department of Justice deserves a lot of credit for aggressively going after this one person. But the, the question still remains why if he was a low level person. What the hell is he doing with the personal data of the user? Why is a low level Twitter employee allowed to get access to the part of the system that allows them to go beyond the handle and find the information of the actual person who's using their account and anonymous posting is obviously permitted, that should be something that's behind a firewall that is protected from Twitter's employees and that only people with certain clearance uh, have access to. And Twitter clearly did not have any sort of firewall to prevent that information from getting in the wrong hands. And look what happened. It did. And what did it result in? It resulted in an aid worker who was running an account with satire, getting arrested, tortured systematically, deprived of legal counsel, uh, isolated from his family, and now subject to a 20-year prison sentence. This is the most un-American activity you can possibly imagine. And for Twitter to say that uh, it did enough by cooperating after the fact is simply nonsense. They were obligated to cooperate. And moreover, it was in their PR interest to cooperate so that they could look like they were good citizens. If they were good citizens, they would have a compliance structure where a user's anonymous information is not generally available to Twitter employees. It is behind a protected firewall and only high-level people with clearance for a specific purpose can access that information. Um, Arij Al-Sathan, uh, can you talk about what you're doing now to have your brother freed? Uh, is it true that they broke his hand, smashed his fingers, saying this is the hand you tweet with? This is the hand you write with? Yes, yes, uh, definitely. The, the, the brutality of the Saudi uh, officials have 
have no limits, unfortunately. Just like we've seen with the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi, there are thousands who are being brutally tortured. One, unfortunately, my brother is one of them. He was brutally tortured to the point that they broke his hand, saying this is the hand they tweet with. Um, and uh, he almost lost his life as, as part of the torture, the brutal torture he was going through. And on top of that, they left him in solitary confinement for years, basically just to add to the more to the to torture, the psychological torture of depriving him of any communication with us or even having access to any fair legal counsel. Um, so uh, what I've been doing is I've been speaking as much as I can publicly about the abuses of, that is happening to us as personally it, uh, to our to my family and um, specifically to my brother and to many to the also the other cases that I, I learn about uh, along this journey. Um, so the only option was left for me is just to come out and speak out about the abuses. We've been silent for a year, hoping that the Saudi government will be will respond to our request, respond to our questions. But unfortunately, they've been ignoring and ignoring us, and there was no response or no help at all from their end. So I had no option but to start speaking out publicly, which which was a huge risk, of course, because I continuously receive threats to silence me. So uh, the one thing that we I can do or we can do is to keep speaking up and to uh, ask for action from our U.S. government um, to take action against these human rights abuses. Um, I've been trying to reach out to uh, the Biden administration personally to uh, highlight my brother's case. And they are, of course, aware of my brother's case, among many other cases, especially of U.S. families who, who suffered from human rights abuses. But so far, we haven't seen action from the Biden administration. My brother still disappeared. Um, and we need to clear demand from the Saudi government to release my brother and all the other innocent people who are detained for no reason except for exercising their right to freedom of speech. Well, we want to thank you so much for being with us, and we will continue to follow your brother's case as well as others. Arish Al-Satham is the sister of the humanitarian aid worker, online activist Abdurrahman Al-Satham, and Jim Walden is the lawyer for the Al-Satham family. We thank you both so much. Coming up, we speak to Walden Bello, a longtime Filipino activist, former vice presidential candidate, he was arrested in the Philippines on Monday on cyber libel charges. Stay with us. Laban, the 
the struggle continues by Tabal Music Collective. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we end today's show in the Philippines, where we're joined by Walden Bello, the longtime scholar and activist who ran for vice president of the Philippines earlier this year. On Monday, Walden Bello was arrested on cyber libel charges, what was widely viewed as a politically motivated case. Walden's arrest comes just weeks after the inauguration of the Philippines' new president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., the son of the former U.S.-backed Filipino dictator Ferdinand Marcos, who brutally ruled the Philippines for two decades, from 65 to 1986, when he was overthrown in the People Power Revolution. The Philippines' new vice president is Sara Duterte, the daughter of former President Rodrigo Duterte, who is so-called war on drugs killed tens of thousands of people. The charges against Walden Bello stem from comments he made about a member of Sara Duterte's campaign. On Twitter, Walden Bello wrote, these people are mistaken if they think they can silence me and suppress my exercise of free speech. Walden Bello is joining us now from Manila. Welcome back to Democracy Now! Describe what happened to you on Monday. Well, thank you very much, uh, Amy, for inviting me. And I think, you know, that uh, it's, it's very important to talk about the weaponization of the law in order to intimidate uh, people who exercise their free speech. I was basically um, at home on uh, Monday afternoon, and um, the police uh, came in and uh, served me the warrant of arrest that had been uh, issued um, a, a, a few hours earlier in the southern city of Davao, which um, Mayor Duterte used to be the head of, and it was transmitted to Quezon City here. And uh, so it was, um, we had been waiting for the warrant for weeks. <clears throat> But we didn't expect the speed within uh, one day uh, that the warrant would be issued in Davao, which is several hundred miles uh, away, uh, and um, uh, issued here to me in, in, in Manila. So I was brought to uh, the police station, and uh, it was too late to post bail. Uh, and people said that that was deliberate to make me spend a night in jail. And um, the next uh, day, the uh, bail uh, for uh, um, uh, two counts of cyber libel uh, was posted, uh, nearly about uh, coming to nearly about uh, um, you know slightly under. Um, uh, um, uh, two thousand uh, dollars, and um, and I was um, I was released uh, late afternoon on 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 Tuesday. So uh, that's sort of a blow by blow account of the twenty four hours uh, from my arrest to um, my uh, release. Can you talk about the cyber libel law that was passed in two thousand twelve? Well, you know, it's uh, you know, it's uh, uh, a law that is very broad in terms of it 
application, um, you know, do and implications for a free speech in this country uh, in the sense that um, it criminalizes libel. Uh, so libel is no longer just a civil charge which can be settled uh, um, through negotiations uh, and through, um, you know, a cash um, 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 in order to be able to uh, um, settle a case. And of course, uh, but, libel that they're using, in, for example, in your case, you would question then fellow vice presidential candidate Sarah Duterte's record as Davao uh, city mayor, claiming the city has become the drug smuggling center of the South. So this kind of political criticism they then cast as cyber libel? No. It, uh, yeah, well, it, it, uh, let me explain. Um, there were certain remarks that my social media team had posted uh, on uh, Facebook uh, that um, uh, asked uh, Mayor Duterte if she was aware, you know, that her press information officer, uh, a person named Jeffrey Tupas, was uh, in a party in which drugs were flowing and um, uh, were, uh, people were arrested, but she was not uh, arrested. So it was uh, in the context of a political debate in which I was raising uh, issues uh, regarding her performance as mayor because that would have an implication for people to assess her record if she was really capable of being vice president because I was she and I were running for the same position. So the person that was referred to as uh, having been at that party um, was strictly incidental to the fact that it was raised in the context of my questioning her record not only with respect to that person's presence, but also infrastructure, and as you said, the reputation of Davao City, of which he was mayor, uh, as as a drug center. So because of that, you know, they launched this cyber libel now, case well, against well, me. Then, uh, Sarah Duterte, now the vice president of the Philippines, said in a statement Tuesday that she did not play a role in your arrest. She said, I've never filed a libel case in my life. Well, I, nobody believes that. I mean, it was fairly clear that uh, she is the prime motivator of this. Uh, and I was trying to say, you know, that um, in response to my calling her out to participate in a debate, because that's really what uh, people running for public office do, they not only push her camp, not only push this cyber libel case, uh, the city council of Davao, uh, city um, 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 declared me persona non grata, uh, and I was also labeled by her camp as a narco politician. So you see, the pattern is that they don't respond to criticisms. Instead, they use the law, they use uh, instruments of intimidation uh, in order to silence you. And this is exactly what's happening right now. Uh, it's you know the the idea that some that she is not engaged in this is it's it, nobody believes that I mean the person was her press information officer uh, 
because of public criticism, she fired him, um, you know, after he was found at the drug party. So there was an element of um, admission that he had done something wrong. And then when he became, uh, she became the vice president and head of the Department of Education, she's now back. This person is now back as her uh, press relations and uh, officer and head of her media office. So, so Walden, I, before we go, yeah. I want to make sure you sure. can comment overall on the new government that is headed by the son of the former dictator, um, that is headed by Bomb Bomb, by uh, Marcos Jr. Uh, and Sara Duterte, the son of the previous president. Yes. Um, let me just say that um, um, people are really, really quite uh, worried that this is uh, a foretaste of things to come. Um, because just you know, a few weeks after the new government was inaugurated, uh, there is this effort to intimidate the opposition um, by filing this cyber libel case. And by the way, my uh, uh, my case um, must be seen in the context of thousands of cyber libel cases. I think the the estimates four thousand that have been uh, lodged by politicians against their opponents uh, over the last few years. The most prominent, of course, is the way that the uh, father of Sarah Duterte uh, had cyber libel cases. Uh, filed against Maria Ressa, the head of Rattler, who won the Nobel Prize, uh, incidentally. But uh, I guess what people are now saying is that, you know, it's only been a few weeks and they're showing their fans at this point in time. Uh, and, um, and that's true. I think that uh, this was, uh, of course, aimed at me, but the implications are much larger. And I am being made uh, an object lesson uh, of what can happen if somebody dares to criticize yeah, uh, a person in high office, uh, somebody in high office in this administration. So uh, I, I think, um, Amy, this is the reason why this has sparked so much domestic outrage, as well as international outrage, because, you know, people, uh, you know, really feel, you know, that this weaponization of the law, like the cyber libel, uh, is something that has uh, become uh, the modus operandi of this heads of government and officials that really do not like criticism. Uh, so, you know, the uh, people that you talk to, you know, throughout the whole range of, of the um, uh, society here, uh, throughout the opposition, they have come together on this on on this case because they know that if they win this case, if if the if the um, uh, if the administration, uh, you know, wins this case in the judiciary, and it's likely that it will win this case because it's, it has a very strong control over judiciary, then people really feel that democratic rights are in very great danger. That is what is at stake here at the moment, and I think people see it, which is why they've come together uh, to demand 
that the administration, the Secretary of Justice at this point, just dropped this 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 charge uh, against me. Walden Bello, of course, will continue to cover your case. Walden Bello, acclaimed Filipino scholar, activist, former vice presidential candidate in the Philippines, co-founded Focus on the Global South, arrested Monday and charged with cyber libel charges. He was released from police custody on Tuesday. That does it for our show. Democracy Now! is currently accepting applications for a people and culture manager. Learn more and apply at Democracy now.org. Democracy Now! is produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Burke. Welcome back, Dana Gunster, Messiah Rhodes, Nermeen Sheikh, Maria Tarasena, Sharina Nadora, Sam Alcoffte, Maria Astudio, John Hamilton, Robbie Karen, Honey, Miss Sue, Mary Conlon. Our executive director is Julie Crosby. Special thanks to Becca Stelly, John Randall, Paul Powell, Mike DeFilippo, Miguel Nagara, Hugh Grant, Dennis Moynihan, David Prude, and Dennis McCormick. I'm Amy Goodman. Yes. All right. We're going to start this now real quick. What's the title here? Uh, Power of DNA. All right. This is uh, starting now. Give me the Jimmy Church sound effect. All right, cool. <clears throat> yeah, he's going to do uh, the voiceover for, I'm working on a movie called Chronicles of the Anunnaki, and uh, Jimmy's going to do the voiceover for the trailer. So it's going to be a box office movie, actually. We started yesterday working on that uh, with Dame Dash at Dame Dash Studios. So it's going to be huge. It's going to be the true history and origins of mankind on this planet going all the way back to the Pleiadian star cluster. So we're going to start off there and move forward in time. Okay, so it's going to be Chronicles because we're going to be talking about a lot of different series. I mean, you can't tell that all in one movie. It's going to be a very, very big, uh, big series of movies. So I'm really, really excited about that. We're in the beginning stages of it now. And um, uh, I just want to thank, you know, Damon Dash for just even seeing the vision and having the open mind to understand that this was important information and even then taking his own time to begin to research it and realize that there's a huge story that hasn't been told yet to mankind and we deserve to get this story out to everybody and give them the real true history not what's in the history books in school but the true history of mankind so i'm excited about that so thank you um Thanks for coming out, everybody. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, this is a great event, phenomenal event. It's a lot of people here, a lot of activities, a lot of things going on. And but there's also a lot of things you could be doing on a Saturday afternoon. You don't have to be here. You know, so I just want to thank you for coming out here, taking your time, spending your energy. 
and just trying to find ways to increase your consciousness and your capacity for, for knowledge and information and wisdom and understanding. So thanks for coming out. And it's really glad to see families out here and be able to see, you know, people out here with their kids and stuff. A lot of the times I go to these events and it's typically just, um, you know, all adults, uh, you know, so sometimes it's good to just have the kids around this type of environment, even if they don't understand fully what's being said or what's going on. You'd be surprised how much information just kind of just uh, seeps into them. And over time, they begin to, you know, follow this kind of path and start looking into enlightenment and spirituality as well. You don't got to beat it onto, beat it into them or force it on them. Just have them around it and you be the example. And eventually some will and some won't. But I think the majority of kids will, will probably try to follow the route of enlightenment and, um, and spirituality. That's just my opinion. So today we're going to talk about uh, the power of your DNA. Uh, you know, how to activate it is really, it sounds like a mystical statement. It sounds like, wow, this is going to be some miraculous event. Actually, it's really a very simple thing. But what probably is going to be more amazing to some of you, some of you may already know this, is what DNA is and how it operates. <clears throat> I think that's the, the big secret here, because once you understand that, then you're going to open yourself up to um, understanding how to reprogram yourself. And that's the real activation, reprogramming yourself. I was just on a spiritual panel uh, about an hour ago, and you know we were talking about ascension, it's a consciousness ascension, and ascension of of, spirit, you know, of your physical body into another realm and dimensions and everything else. <clears throat> and one of the things I talked about was the fact that I think a lot of people on this planet are unfortunately, because they've been victims of the religious system, are waiting to die so that they can live, and that's a big problem that we have. <laughs> You're not supposed to wait to die so that you can live. No. <laughs> because, first of all, the book that says that, well, it really doesn't even say that, but the people that are assuming that's what it means, those are written by people, flesh and blood people like me and you. Okay? So there's really no true divine scripture that says this is what's going to happen when you die. You're going to go to this magical place. I think it's time for us to start living now. Yep. Now, I think that our duty is to help bring heaven to earth. I think that's what the mission truly is. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about DNA. One of the things people have seen me speak before I like to talk about, I like to mix science, real science in with what I talk about so that I can help make logical sense because um, I'm the type of speaker that likes to back things up with, with facts. Not that other people don't, but a lot of people here have some really good knowledge and they talk about it and they explain it in the best way they can. And some people will resonate with it and some people won't. And I've been sitting there looking at some of the people that are kind of like saying, oh, I don't know about that. And in my mind, I'm going, that's real science backs what what this person is saying. Science is backing it up. They may not have been able to uh, get it out that way, but there's a lot of science behind spirituality in the quantum realm. Quantum mechanics and quantum physics really have a lot to do with spirituality and how the unseen work around us in this uh, in this physical realm. So one thing I want to talk about is the fact that DNA is a storage medium. In other words, it's a hard drive. You're a walking hard drive, your body. One gram of DNA, this is science, peer-reviewed science, by the way, guys. One gram of DNA, which is enough to put a little tiny drop on the tip of your finger, can store 700 terabytes of data. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, what, you know, etherical data or mystical data. I'm talking about real zeros and ones that make your phone work and make your computer work. Zeros and one bits of data, zeros and ones. 
can be stored on DNA. So these scientists, uh, the main one, George Church and Cree Shuri, those two actually together, Spartans and scientists, they discovered this and they downloaded one of their books, one of their e-books onto the DNA. And then they uploaded it from the DNA back to the server again. They was like, whoa, wait a minute. You can encode digital bits of information directly onto DNA and upload it back again. What does that mean? Well, we're, we're walking USB drives, mm-hmm. literally. Now, here's what's really amazing about that. They then took that same ebook, downloaded it back to the DNA again, and said, let's see how much we can go. They replicated the book 70 billion times in one gram of DNA. 70 billion copies of an ebook in one gram with 433 petabytes of data. That would be enough hard drives if we were using conventional hard drives to fill up this whole park. Think about that. In one tiny drop inside of your body right now, you can store 13.5 billion years of data. Ironically, that's how old the universe is. So you are the universe. You literally have all the information stored in your body from the beginning of time until this very moment inside of you. So when people say the universe is in you, it's not just a figure of speech. Like the universe is really in you because all bits of data and particles, all all bits of uh, of particles are all recycled over and over. All atoms are recycled. Everything is recycled. Everything that was here from the beginning is here right now. Nothing's been added. Nothing's been removed. Due to the law of thermodynamics, energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be transformed. You're just here right now in this particular form at this particular moment. But all the information in your DNA will go back. If you had the capability of decoding it, will allow you to find this out. This is why, and some of you here know that I talk a lot about the Anunnaki, these Atlantean beings that came here in the distant past and genetically modified the existing hominid. They didn't create people. They modified people. This is one of the big things when people say, oh, the Anunnaki created us. Not, not really. If you really analyze the text, and I'm not just talking about Sumerian text, you have to go into several different versions of text. The Enumulation, Seven Tablets of Creation, the Atra Aces Epic, the Epic of Gilgamesh. You go into uh, the Emerald Tablets. You discover that there was a genetic, there was already a hominid here and it was genetically modified. That was our cousin before Homo sapiens existed. What did they do to us to make us into this slave race to do the work for them? They disconnected our DNA. That's what you have called now junk DNA. It's not junk, guys. It's unplugged DNA. Why did they unplug it? Because our cousins, unlike you've been taught, were way smarter than us. I'm not talking technologically smarter. I'm talking about spiritually smarter. More in tune with nature, more in tune with the universe, more in tune with the planet itself, the human resonant frequency of the earth. They had bigger brains proven because we found the skulls all over the planet. They had uh, probably, because of bigger brains, most likely had bigger pineal glands, which is your spiritual antenna. So they, they, all humans right now, we have billions of magnetite crystals in our brains. We don't even use them. They probably had access to their magnetite crystals, which is what turtles use to navigate the oceans to come back to where they're going to lay their eggs. And, and uh, birds, they, they flock to the south in the, in the winter and so forth, all using the magnetic field. Well, we have the same capability, but right now we've, we've been disconnected from using that. If a tsunami comes inland, before it even hits, all the wild animals run to the mountains and the hills. You never see wild animals getting swept away by a tsunami. But you see people, 
We just stay right out there and just, we're taking, look, the tsunami's coming. I'm live on Instagram. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, so we've been disconnected. You know, we our DNA has been disconnected. Our consciousness has been reduced. They've already scientifically proven and found out that a worship gene was embedded into the human genome. And they don't know who did it, but they can tell you that it was around 200,000 years ago, the same time that they discovered that chromosome number two in the human body was taken out, fused together, and two telomere caps were put on each end. Again, this is something done in a laboratory, admitted by mainstream scientists, but they can't figure out who did it. They can only tell you when. Oh, about 200,000 years ago. Well, what do the tablets say? 200,000 years ago is when they first genetically modified the existing hominid on this planet. And these tablets predate any Zachariah Sitchin's translations. Zachariah Sitchin, I want to clear this up real quick before I even proceed, never translated any Sumerian tablets. That's a hoax. He's one of the greatest researchers in the history of this planet because what he did was he took pre-existing translated information and he painted a picture for us based off of his tran- the translations that already existed. And he wrote books about it. He never translated the Sumerian tablets. The, trans- the, trans- the Sumerian tablets were translated Uh, In some cases, 100 years before he was even born. This is back in the 1700s and 1800s that the Sumerian tablets, the ones that have the information about these beings coming here and so forth and genetic modifying people, the Atraeus epic and the Enuma Elish were translated before he was even born. So he never translated. He just painted a picture. He tried to to, uh, pull together information from the tablets, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Nakamadi scripts. Uh, the Emerald Tablets, and he tried to paint a picture as to what he thought happened in the ancient past. Was he a thousand percent accurate? Probably not. But who is? Nobody's going to be a hundred percent accurate on anything that they put together. We're all researching. We're all searching for answers and information. But just to clear that up, because I got to get rid of that, debunk that big lie that floats around that we shouldn't listen to anything the Sumerian Tablets have to say because they were only translated by Zachariah Sitchin. That's actually a that's a lie. You can look this up for yourself. I've done full presentations about that topic. And the reason why I bring up the Sumerian tablets, what does it have to do with DNA? Well, if you look into the Tower of Babel incident that happened, it's recorded in the Bible, but the Bible copied it directly from where? The Sumerian tablets, which predate the Bible by 6,000 years. Ironically, if you look what the majority of religious people that believe in that book, they only think that the earth and people are only 6,000 years old. Why is that? Because the Sumerian tablets date back to 6,000 years. That's when the, the most recent recorded history in terms of a lot of information was, was available. So they're going off of information that was plagiarized into other religious texts. But Sumerians in this in the uh, in this epic, there's a Tower of Babel being built in Babylon. This tower is rivaling the tower that was built by these Anunnaki beings, these Atlantean people. Now, whether the tower was a replica, direct, like an identical copy, whether it was uh, like a cargo cult where we kind of deified these people as gods and we're just trying to mimic and we use straw and and then clay brick to build a tower that mimicked what they built it doesn't matter the fact is we came together as one all of us and we built something together and our reason behind it was to either honor the guards or duplicate what they were doing so this entity comes back to see this and if you're looking in um in the old testament of the bible it's uh yahweh who's actually in the sumerian tablets his name is enlil enlil was Ironically, if you look in the, the, the ancient scriptures, he was Satan, the Lord of Eden. But anyway, so he comes back and he sees the people building this tower in the heaven. And he what? He destroys the tower. He blows it up. He's angry now 
And he says, whatever man decides to do, they can, to put their heart to, they can, to set their heart to, they can achieve it or accomplish it. And so he blows up the tower, and then he does what next? He changes the language, and he says, my seed shall not abide in man forever. His years shall be 120. Well, it says the same thing in the Bible. It says the same thing in the Sumerian text. What, what it says now is Harvard scientists in America just discovered that under the most pristine conditions, a human being can live for how many years? 120. This is what all the GMOs and the genetic seeds and, and, the, and the tortured meat and everything else under, and, the, and the pollution, under the most pristine conditions, we should live to 120 years. Now what they said is, okay, well, why are we dying at 120 years and less? What, what's the reason? That's when they came, and I told you about before, the chromosome number two and the telomere caps. They realized that these telomere caps, which are buff, they store buff material that allows, when your cells and DNA replicate, it allows information to not be lost in a transference because, you know, your body's consistently regenerating over and over again. But when the buff material in these caps run out, that's when your body starts the death process. So we were capped. They put a cap on us. So what they did was they went into mice and they said, wow, let's look at these mice. Because if you, and if you look at some of the ancient texts, biblical or either Sumerian, uh, emerald tablets, uh, even some of the Indian books, you'll discover that people were living for thousands of years. Well, what happened? All of a sudden they stopped living for, these are human beings, not gods. Humans were living for thousands of years. Now, mainstream science wants to say, oh, it's because they had more oxygen and all this kind of crazy stuff. No, man. We've been genetically modified, just like the seeds on this planet. That's why. So they went and said, okay, let's look at some mice. So they took some mice at Harvard, and they accessed the telomere caps, and they put together a sequence that prevented them from shrinking or losing the buff material. And all of a sudden, these mice lived three, to three times their normal lifespan. Three times their normal lifespan. So they're discovering that DNA can be reprogrammed. Telomere caps can be reprogrammed. We were genetically modified to only live a, a specific amount of years on this planet. Why? Because if we're living long enough and we become smart enough and begin to work together and come back together as one, realizing that we're all one family, then we will overthrow this small amount of elites that are controlling and, run, and ruling us. There's 13 point... There's uh, 7.5 billion people on this planet, and there's only 13 families that control all of us. And so when we look at this, you have to say to yourself, 13 families, like 100 people or so, controlling 7.5 billion, what you see, eat, hear, smell, touch, feel, think. And what we have to do is we got to stop blaming that, those 13 families. We got to stop saying, these guys did this, and they did that, and they did this. You know what we got to do? We got to get out a big mirror. Take a selfie of yourself. I'm to blame. I'm to blame. You know why? Our silence puts us in collusion. Our ignorance puts us in full collusion. We have allowed this to happen to us. We have allowed this to happen to us, and we still are allowing it consistently on a daily basis. How? Because we participate in the system. I went to the ATM machine today. I participated in the central banking system today. All of us are participating on a daily basis. I put gas inside of the rental car that I have today. I participated in the petroleum system that they have locked down on this planet. Ooh. Every single moment of every single day, we participate in the system. I'm using this cell phone. This screen is made from child forced child labor. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to throw away my cell phone today, am I? Because of that. We're participating in a system that is designed to keep us completely enslaved. And it goes all the way back to these ancient times. So getting back to the DNA. So 
we know that DNA is a storage medium and it can store a massive amount of information. This is this is very, very important for you to understand. And like I said, uh, on one gram of DNA, 433 petabytes of data. I don't know if you know what a petabyte is, but it's a, it's a massive amount of information. But let's take it to the next step now. Now they have discovered that epigenetic memories can be passed down 14 generations inside of DNA. Memories. So you're wondering why you feel fear of this and fear of that, or you have a phobia of this or a phobia of that, or you feel strongly about this and not so strongly about that. It's not because it runs in your family. It's because it's in your DNA. Memories are in your DNA. So what does this have to do with us? Well, we're looking at an entire race of people on this planet that have been literally enslaved. Every single race. Every single race on this planet has been enslaved. Now, and in more recent times, we've had uh, one race try to enslave other races more than others. But, however, you have to understand this. We're all still slaves in the matrix. It's, a, it's an illusion to the ones who think that they did the enslaving. Yes, they did it, but it's, it's still an illusion. You know why? We've all been enslaved. Every single person on this planet is a slave right now at this moment. But we can break out of it, and that's what we're going to go over today. And one of the most important things, I think, what you have to understand when you're dealing with people that have been oppressed in like even more recent times, like I just said epigenetic memories go 14 generations. Well, think about that for a minute. If you look at, for example, African-Americans, we've only gone out of slavery for a generation. So if you see somebody that's stressing, that's under pressure, that's feeling the negative effects of what happened in the past, you can't just wipe it away and say, it's over now, you should forget about it. Because what they're truly doing is they're suffering internally. It's an internal thing. And it's not going to go away immediately. It's going to take some time to do what? Reprogram. We have to reprogram the DNA. This goes for a lot of the people that have been enslaved on this planet over many generations. 14 generations is, is quite a bit of time, but at the same time, it's a short period of time. But we're just now coming out of different types of slavery on this planet, and it's not going to go away in the blink of an eye. So you have to understand that. So when you see people that they may be suffering from things that happened in the past, you have to realize that it's not, um, it may not be just a figment of your imagination. Uh, now, how does this work with the law of attraction? Okay, first let's go back into programming a little bit before we get to the law of attraction. The reason why they call TV, obviously programming, is because when you turn the TV on, it really programs you. When you turn the radio on, it programs you. I mean, it's all programming. So what we have to do as a people on this planet is we have to literally take the system that the elites put over us to control us and keep us dumbed down and stupid and low vibrational, take that same exact system and flip it. Use the same methods, but for positive, for high-frequency information. This is what we have to do to reprogram ourselves. And what are some of the ways to do that? Music is universal. Okay, because mathematics is universal. The whole universe is written based on mathematics, and music is also universal. That's why I started a record label called Pantheon Elite Records. I started a record label because I want to affect people in a positive way through music. But what do I do that's different? Well, we, have, we use conscious lyrics. Okay, well, that's the, okay, well, big deal. No, the music is encoded at 432 hertz and 528 hertz because the music on your radio is, pro, is encoded at what? 440 hertz. Very scientifically proven, extremely detrimental to DNA. Again, we go back to the DNA. 
Why do they do 440 hertz knowing that it's going to be detrimental to your DNA? Because they want to keep you in a weakened state. Because why? People that come together, people that understand who they are, people that understand how much power is inside of them will not allow this to happen. We will take control of this planet, become loving beings again, love one another, help one another, and so forth and so on. So they have to keep us in a state of weakness and, of course, also sickness. Because when your DNA is weak, you become what? You become sick. Okay? So they, they go in at 440. So all my music, I put it at 432 hertz and 528 hertz. I encourage anybody here who is a musician. There's a lot of artists out here. There goes one back there. He, he understands. He knows. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Love it. That's the love frequency right there. We've got to start putting our music out at 432 and 528 hertz. And guess what's going to happen? People are going to start copying us and following suit. And it's going to become like an epidemic in a positive way. But we've got to start the process there. Programming on TV. That's why I get involved in positive shows and documentaries and movies that teach real information. Because why I'm trying to get kids to start looking at people start looking at information that's going to help to reprogram their DNA. Another thing that you can do is positive affirmations. I have a song called Affirmations. If you look it up on any music platform, just look up Affirmations by Forbidden Knowledge with the number four. It's a song that will literally, when you play it, it's going to give you a whole song full of affirmations with a composed music done by myself and a violin by the name of Richard Wagner. Uh, and it's, but it's going to program you. Every, it's been scientifically proven by saying positive affirmations will literally reprogram your DNA. And guess what happens when you begin to do that? When you begin to think positively, when you begin to act positively, and then now you're reprogramming yourself, and now you have offspring. Guess what happens to them? They come out slightly reprogrammed, and you keep it going down the line. You keep teaching them the right way, and then when they have offspring, they become reprogrammed. So this is the method that's going to be needed to reprogram. It may not be just this instantaneous thing where everybody's just reprogramming, we're all awake, and we're all in another dimension. I mean, it could happen because anything is possible. But what I'm trying to tell you is more likely we're probably going to have to go by on a step-by-step -step realistic process to do this, and it's going to take effort, and it's going to take hard work. It's not going to be easy. If you're driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off in traffic, don't flip them the finger and curse them out and say this and that and all this other kind of stuff, especially if you've got your kids and stuff in the car. That's just a bad example. What you should do is you should bless that person. Bless their path. Bless the, des the, the, the destination they're trying to get to. And thank, and thank you know, the universe that you didn't crash or have a car accident. And just keep on moving in a positive mindset. Well, when you broadcast that type of love frequency, now you're reprogramming your DNA. Now the people who are around you who have witnessed you do that, they're being reprogrammed because they're going, oh, this is the way that I should be. And now they're going to reprogram. It becomes very contagious. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. And the only reason why we're in the state we are now as a civilization on the planet is because we're not utilizing enough unconditional love. And that's one of the, and we're all guilty, including myself. I'm even guilty of it. You know, I try to get myself into a state of zero point where nothing truly affects my physiology. The only, the only feelings I like to feel are happy, happiness and love. And if something comes, uh, bad news, a situation in the family, anything that blindsides me in business, I try not to let it get me into a state of frenzy or a state of distress. I try to control my physiology and maintain the neutral point because in the zero point field is where you can actually focus on the problem. Because once you become completely distressed, worked up, angry, and frustrated, now 
your mind is putting more energy into that and not into focusing on the situation or the problem that you need to have to, to fix and solve the situation, which most likely means you probably need to be more understanding, be more patient and learn a lesson from whatever happened. So we have to begin to take these. Now, this is not easy to do. Trust me. If I make a post on Forbidden Knowledge on Instagram and I think it's probably the greatest post in the world and somebody will go in there and make some kind of crazy comment. It's hard for me not to go, are oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> but you know what I've done now? I've tried something new because this is the kind of work it really takes, Scott. I'm serious. It takes hard work to change your DNA. Now what I'll do is I'll write the response that I was going to write, but I won't send it. I'll write it. I'll type it with all the energy. I'll be like, you, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, mm. And then I'll just sit there and look at it, read it a couple times, and I'll put the phone down till the screen goes blank. Then I'll walk around, drink something or whatever, get on a the computer. Then I'll come back, pick it up again, and just delete it. It only takes that little bit of time for the satisfaction of it <laughs> to leave you. And then it's like, oh, wow, you know what? It would have been dumb to send that. First of all, the whole world's going to see it. You know, kids are following my account. They're going to see that, you know. So instead of clapping back now, what I do is I just, I just type my message. And eventually my goal is to not even have to type the message at all. But you see, it's a work in progress. None of us are perfect. It's all a work in progress. And we, it's a struggle on a daily basis. This is what's really truly called in, uh, in the ancient text, being born again. Being born again doesn't mean that you believing in a specific deity and that he's going to come and save you. Being born again means it's an elevation of consciousness. You've gone from the primordial level of consciousness, the physical meat mode level, to a 5D ascension level of consciousness. Your body is still in the third dimension, but you're thinking from a much higher dimension, a much higher level. So things that would send another person on a wild goose chase, they don't send you on wild goose chases anymore because you're reprogramming yourself a little bit every single day. And this is the process that we've got to go through. And I think that it's very doable. I really do believe that this can be truly, truthfully accomplished with effort within just two generations. And in two generations from now, we can have a whole different uh, race of people on this planet, the same race, but a whole different mindset of people on this planet, would are born and into a higher level of consciousness, moving things forward. And when you have people in positions of power that are raised up and now are getting positions of power in economic systems and uh, in systems and governmental systems, all of a sudden you've got uh, allies. We have allies in places that somebody can press a button and make a change. You know, so these are the, some of the things we have to realize. It's, it's not going to be a big war against the elites, and it's not going to be, uh, you know, where we're we're picketing 10 million people walking up and down the street and all this kind of crazy stuff and getting on TV. It's going to be that we're all going to come to realize that we're all one. We're all one big family. We need to come together and do one thing, stop participating. And when we do that, the game is over. When we literally say Monday morning, uh, we're not going to go to work. Imagine if 30 million people didn't go to work Monday. Imagine if 30 million people didn't buy gas on Monday. Imagine if 30 million people went to the bank on Monday and said, I want to withdraw all my money. They can't even give it to all 30 million because only 15% of the cash is available on hand at any given time. The rest is fake zeros and ones. That would collapse the banking system in one day. You see the power in that? You have the power. We all have the power. But what's keeping us back from doing this? Fear. Oh, my God, if I don't go to work, I'm going to get fired. And if they don't participate in it and I'm the only one that doesn't show up for work, 
we're all gonna I'm gonna lose out and I'm gonna you're not gonna be able to pay my rent. I'm not gonna be able to pay my make my car payment and so forth and so on. You see the you see the trap they have us in? They have us in this system where we're afraid to work together. We're afraid to be like, man, we're brothers. We should be, you know, link up. Let's do this together. That's right. So that's where we gotta get to, guys. We gotta get to the point where we're literally all on the same accord. And that's gonna happen. We've got to get to that point. Yeah. So now the next thing I want to talk about is how does this work with the law of attraction? What does DNA have to do with the law of attraction? It has a lot to do with the law of attraction, actually, because the law of attraction uh, is actually initiated through the DNA. When you And how many people here have ever heard somebody say, I get a download? People say, I get a download. Don't laugh at those people because they're really getting the download. And, you know, I've seen people laugh before and chuckle when people walk away. Let me tell you something. You don't understand quantum. If you think it's funny, you don't understand quantum mechanics. Because just like I told you about you know, DNA being able to be a hard drive, which, by the way, now Microsoft has created the first DNA hard drive that really works. So things like uh, teleportation of biological entities and all that stuff is all becoming a reality because the only thing stopping us was, was storage space. But anyway, scientists have also found out now that DNA sends and receives wireless signals, wireless information. We have a built-in Wi-Fi system in our bodies already. So, and it's just broadcast between eight to 10 feet away from the human body. So all times of day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're all downloading information directly from the ether of space-time itself. And what's in the ether of space-time? Remember, a human being can only see on a very small uh, spectrum of light. So what we're seeing right now is literally just part of the hologram. Just part of the hologram. Everything else, there's trillions and trillions of electromagnetic waves passing in you, through you, and out of you at this existing very moment right now as I'm speaking. That's all everything is, is electromagnetic waves. That's all that really exists besides that and consciousness. Those two things collapse together and create what we call matter. So right now, we, can, we can't see these other waves of light, but they're there. But what's happening is if the DNA in your body is... is uh, oscillating at a specific frequency that matches a frequency of a, an electromagnetic wave that's already out there, you can download information from that wave. What do waves carry? They carry information. Electromagnetic waves carry information. What I'm giving you guys is real peer-reviewed science. Write it down and go look it up and research it. All the information contained in the entire universe is passing in us all, and all around us at all times. There is no original, uh, no original idea. If you're just sitting around going, man, I have a great idea. I'm going to invent so-and-so. Mm, not really. What happened was you got on the right frequency and you downloaded the information directly from the uh, universe. There's a professor called James S. Gates Jr. He, he's a former professor at the University of Maryland. He's at a much smaller college now. He was also the scientific advisor to President Obama in, in, uh, in that era. But he's a specialist in supersymmetry and uh, theoretical physics. And this guy is one of the leaders in this in the world. He's not just some guy who plays around with this. He's the like the leader. He gets he gets together this super team of quantum physicists, and they start digging into the ether of space time to figure out what is floating in us and around us. What is this space time? What is space? And he discovers that it operates on something called adinkra codes. And these adinkra codes can be traced back to the Dogon tribe in Mali, Africa who actually were the original uh, Egyptians from the land of Kem. They later migrated out to Mali. But they have these codes. These codes represent, they're flat codes on, on cloth, but when you take them into a third dimension, they represent sophisticated numerical mathematics 
that depict something called error correcting codes in our modern science. And these error correcting codes are what run search engine browsers and websites. So what is governing the function of our space-time reality in the third dimension is a software program that runs websites and search engines. Mm -hmm. This is peer-reviewed science, guys. So this is how powerful you are. So what's happening is you're syncing up with information that's already on the net, and it's downloading into your body, and you're processing that. And this is how powerful the human body is. This is why we get a lot of visitations from different entities. I truly do believe, that, like, for example, the gray aliens, which are probably uh, most likely um, cybernetic organisms that have long outlived their, their creators, in my personal opinion, from my research, are doing these hybridization programs with people because they're looking to get a way to tap into um, having a, an afterlife through through the DNA of a human being. I think that multidimensional DNA that we have, I think it's very special, and that's why we probably get a lot of visitations. But anyway, so but that's, that's the Wi-Fi part of it. So with the law of attraction, what happens is the law of attraction is not just something. You know, a lot of people hear you, oh, law of attraction, I'm going to use the law of attraction, but they really don't know how to utilize it the, the proper way. And it's a real powerful tool to use in your life. And if you really, truly, truly understand the law of attraction, you're going to make your life so much easier. It goes along, though, with the reprogramming process. You have to begin to start the reprogram. If you want it to work consistently, you can make it work by accident here or there, spot it. But if you want it to work consistently, you got to continue to reprogram your DNA. And then you have to understand one other thing, quantum entanglement. Now, normally I do a very sophisticated presentation with graphics behind me to let people visually see this. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you without the graphics. I know some people are visual learners. But in quantum entanglement, which is something in real physics, uh, it's where you use something called parabolic down conversion to get two photons or two particles on the same frequency. So once you get two particles on the same frequency, you can take one particle to the other end of the universe if you had the capability of getting it there. And the particle that's local to you, you can change the information in it, put data on it, and the other particle will change instantaneously, bypassing the speed of light. What does this prove? The thing that I said in the beginning. Distance is an illusion. There is no distance. Separation is an illusion. Matter of fact, there's 7.5 billion people on this planet. If I were to take all of the empty space out of your atoms, I could fit all 7.5 billion people into a sugar cube. We're, it's just an illusion, guys. It's a hologram. It's all consciousness and waves out there. It's really all, all that exists. But I'm back to the law of attraction. So what happens in the law of attraction is once you understand how quantum, quantum entanglement works, and scientists now have discovered that the brain the neurons in the brain phase in and out of the third dimensional reality. Look it up. I always give you real science, real science that you can research for yourself. So your neurons your, between your synapses are actually phasing in and out of the third dimension. Where are they going? They're communicating with other realms and other dimensions, syncing and, and, and quantum entangling with, with um, particles and, and thoughts in other places. So when you understand this, how you go, oh, wow, when you're supposed to, when you look into the ancient tablets, especially in the animal tablets, which is why I wrote my book, Compendium of the Animal Tablets, the biggest part of my book is where Thoth is talking about the power of manifestation through meditation and thought. And he's literally talking about how to sync with the universal consciousness through something else, which I've labeled the Christ consciousness. So the Christ consciousness doesn't mean you're syncing up with Jesus Christ. What it means is you're th syncing up with the idea, the concept of this higher level of consciousness that exists uh, out there in space time. So when you yourself are 
aligning yourself properly with the universe, vibrating on a high frequency. And what does that mean, vibrating on a high frequency? That means you're thinking with love, not thinking with hate. You're thinking with power and love, not fear and weakness. And when you do that, that puts your DNA scientifically at a high frequency. This has been done in laboratories. They've taken DNA. They've, uh, they've analyzed a person's thought patterns through caps they put on with electrodes. And they've got them looking at photos, photos that show people getting murdered, then a photo of a field of flowers, then a photo of somebody hugging a child, and then a photo of somebody getting beat up. And they analyze those thought patterns in a laboratory. And this is how they learn this. So at specific times when you're feeling the, the mode of fear, the DNA, there's a frequency that oscillates over your DNA. It covers a very wide a band, and it, co it covers less of your DNA. In a high-frequency love mode, the frequency is oscillates much faster and they're hence much closer together and more of the frequency is touching your DNA strand, which means you're operating at a high frequency. This is real science. It's not like, oh man, these people just got up here talking about this aliens and, and, and frequencies and all this stuff. They don't know what they're talking about. Now I'm talking about real peer-reviewed quantum physics and quantum mechanics. It's important for you to know because when you tell people about this stuff, like, you, you're a weirdo. But when you back it up with science, they got to sit down and listen. If they don't sit down and listen, they, they really don't want to hear anything at all. But some people will not listen to you and then go look it up and go, damn, they were right. I'm serious. So now, okay, you're saying, I want to manifest this into my, I want to manifest a spouse into my life, for example. Let's just go with that. I'm using my own personal example. Okay. Uh, so uh, I want to manifest a spouse into my life that's operating in the same frequency that I'm operating, that's moving in the same way that I'm moving, because I tried it before. Where one person's going this way, another person's going that way, it didn't work out. I did it twice. I'm going, man, I'm beating myself up. What am I doing here? Not that that person was all wrong or that I was all wrong, but it just wasn't a perfect match frequent, you know, on the frequency level. And I want somebody that's going to be able to uh, not be perfect because that's highly impossible, but somebody that at least just has understanding for the work that I do and the time that I put out and the people I have to meet and so forth and so on. So I start focusing on this in meditations. I start focusing on envisioning not a face, not a body. Just a spirit like being that is in full agreement and movement in what I'm looking to do and accomplish on this planet. Okay? So now, because I'm doing that and I'm feeling this love frequency, this vibration and happiness in the meditation, I'm now operating at a high level. Now I'm syncing up with the Christ consciousness. The Christ consciousness is going to carry that photonic or that, that particle energy to sync up with the universal consciousness on a quantum entanglement. And now I'm quantum entangled directly with the flower of life, which is the face of God. And now what happens is, just like in standard physics, when you have a globe in space, and you see space warps around the globe because of the theory of relativity, Einstein's theory of relativity. Normally I would show you on the stage. Now replace the globe, Earth, with your, with your consciousness, with your mind. Your mind is literally, now that it's quantum entangled, it's warping space-time. It's warping the ether of space itself. And now things that you're looking for are falling. Because what happens to a, a body in space that warps space? things fall toward it. Now, the things that you want in life are starting to fall towards you. You're creating your own quantum entanglement. You're creating a law of attraction. Now, you have things falling directly towards you. And this is how the law of attraction works. You literally create a, 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 a gravity well, so to speak, that things happen to fall towards you. And as you begin to operate in this mode, it then becomes, begins to happen subconsciously where you're not even having to directly focus. As you, as the universe knows what you need, if you're operating in the right frequency, those things will just occur in your life and pop up for you. I'm thinking uh, two months ago, you know, I really want to, um, you know, 
you start writing this Anunnaki movie, and I just kept putting it aside, putting it aside. All of a sudden, Dame Dash calls me up or sends me a direct message on Instagram and says, hey, I want to talk about doing a movie. <laughs> I wasn't like, man, I got to focus on getting this movie. I got to pull it into my life. No, I'm already operating on the right frequency. Things like that just pop up and manifest. Then what happens? Other things pop up and manifest that you didn't even realize that you wanted to have, but now, hey, you want to do a show on my network? Yeah, I'll do a show on your network. You know? I mean, it happens all the time. You know, uh, even in business, you'll see things start to pop up and start to manifest as long as you're operating in the right frequency. And I think that, uh, you know, some people have been able to overcome that, even though they have a cold heart and, and, and dark mindset. But overall, what's happening to those people is, in my opinion, their energy is going to be recycled. When their avatar body expires, their energy is going to be recycled back into another one and a blind recycling, a blind, a blind reincarnation. And they'll be forced to experience this thing all over again from scratch without knowing who they are, where they came from or anything else. And try to learn the lessons all over again. I want to be like Thoth the Atlantean, like I talk about in my book. He discovered a way through seeking the light, obtaining a high level of consciousness, understanding the power of law of attraction and manifestation, and then utilizing that to, to, um, to manifest himself or incarnate at will. Where and when he wants to. Anytime, any planet, anywhere, in any body. He has, uh, you know, according to the Animal Tablets, he had avatar bodies in the, in the halls of Amenti underneath the Great Pyramid. Well, they found those rooms, hundreds of them underneath the Great Pyramid, hundreds of them out under the, under the Giza Plateau out there. So they really truly do exist. But the, the point that I'm trying to make to you is this. We have the capability to reprogram ourselves. DNA is a storage medium. It's extremely, extremely powerful. And because we have the capability to reprogram ourselves, we could change the future generations on this planet. We can help heal people. There's a lot of people on this planet that need healing. And not enough of us are willing to extend that healing mindset to them. If you run across a person that's having a bad day, don't let that affect you if they snap at you. You know, one of the companies that I run with my wife in Ohio is a company uh, that um, we treat people with, we service people with disabled disabilities, developmental disabilities. So some of these people have uh, cerebral palsy. Uh, they have arthrothriposis where they can't use their hands and their legs, uh, different types of autism. and we have to have meetings with our caregivers to let them know, look, guys, these people from time to time will snap at you. At the end of the day, you're getting up and getting in a car and driving home. They're going to go to a bedroom and a bed. You have to understand that. You have to extend empathy to, all, to everyone. And I think the next biggest part is that we have to extend empathy to animals as well. This is where we're getting to. I just truly... Don't believe that we can ascend to the highest possible level that we're capable of until we can extend our empathy to the smallest creatures. I'm talking about even ants. Now, does that mean you will never step on an ant? Of course, you may be walking down the street and step on an ant. Don't, get, don't think I'm crazy. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Extend empathy to the smallest of creatures, and that will extend beyond animals into your brother and sister. That will extend because once you achieve that level of consciousness, it will extend out to the highest level, the highest level of sentient being on the planet, which is right now, according to modern science, human beings. But it still might be. I was talking with a brother earlier. It may be uh, dolphins and and, uh, and and whales. But but still, in mind, keep in mind, if we do that, if we're able to do that, I'm just telling you how so important it is. We can be blessing one another and telling us each other how great we are and everything else, and then uh, go to a, 
a, a sea world and go watch a tortured down animal be tortured for two hours and pay for that and laugh and smile and think it's great and go home and think we had a great day with our kid at the park. Mm-hmm. Not thinking that this this animal that we just got done watching being tortured in forced labor uh, has a much more powerful brain than us, can feel emotions stronger than us, has much, much more um, neural capacity than us, and a highly more advanced language than us as well. And we just tortured this animal for two, three hours for our own enjoyment. Meanwhile, we're running around saying we're high, highly conscious spiritual beings. They both don't go hand in hand. And we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it as well. It's just something that we've got to work to. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. You know, I'm standing up here with shoes on that might be made from leather. Mm-hmm. Think about that. These shoes, I, I don't know if they are or not. I just bought them from a, you know, a discount store. I was happy to grab them. Good sale. But you see the mindset? But again, how was this animal potentially tortured so that I can walk around in these shoes? Just little things like that, just to think about. Not just not to beat yourself up too hard about it, but to say, you know what? Let's just start analyzing things little by little again and, and trying to rethink how we uh, consider ourselves on this planet and how we can ascend ourselves, take ourselves to the next level. The last thing I want to touch on is prayer. One of the other problems we have on this planet is the fact that prayer doesn't seem to work. I said it. Doesn't seem to work. There's 7.5 billion people on this planet. And out of that 7.5 billion people, 85% of this planet, they're religious people. And some people are saying multiple prayers a day. And not really working that well. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying prayer doesn't work. I'm saying it's not working because we're not utilizing it the right way. Let's talk about how prayer should work. Remember when I was talking about quantum entanglement, law of attraction, the power of the mind, consciousness? Well, you see, the universe operates on a very high frequency. It doesn't operate on low frequency. So if you're standing up in a position of power and you're commanding things into existence, you're at a high frequency because the universe only will sync with you on high frequency knowledge and, and, and consciousness. If you're down and begging Oh, please, I don't know why this is happening. Oh, help me, help me. I can't get out of this situation. Oh, I can't pay this. I can't pay that. This one's sick. That one's sick. Help, 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 help. Well, if I collect electrodes to your brain, according to the science that I told you about before, you're at a low frequency. Guess what? You're not, you're not going to quantum entangle. You're not going to sink with the universal consciousness in a low frequency mindset. That's begging a sky wizard to come and rescue you, not realizing that the divine energy that created this entire universe is flowing in you, through you, and out of you at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The power of creation, thank you, is inside of you. The power of healing is inside of you. The power of the, the ability to the power for you to have the ability to see through a situation and correct it or find a way to fix it or deal with it in the right manner is already inside of you. The power of manifestation is already inside of you. So what are we doing with all this begging and begging and low frequency, low frequency vibration activity? It's not getting us anywhere. It's not doing anything for anybody. You know, and then what happens is one out of a thousand people will miraculously recover in a hospital. and We go, oh, God made it happen. But then if the person dies, we blame the doctor. <laughs> it's his fault. Oh, you know, listen, guys, you have to understand. I'm not saying that you're going to live forever. You're not going to never have any diseases or anything else. But it's been scientifically proven that the human body the mind has the capability of helping your body heal faster and better than any medicine ever put out on the market. Mm-hmm. Any medicine. This is why they have something called placebos. They do double blind studies. 
They give somebody a placebo for this disease and they give somebody the real treatment. The other person who gets the real treatment, some of them recover, some of them don't. The people who get the placebo, some of them recover, some of them don't. Why is that? The power of the mind. The power literally of the mind. It's just that powerful. So just remember, guys, when you're going into praying, pray from a position of power. And what do I mean by that? Well, for example, if I'm going on a trip, like my trip here, I literally close my eyes and I envision my flight route, my, my car drive to the airport, then my flight route to the airport, my, my, my drive from the airport to the hotel. And I envision it in my mind. And then I say, I bless my path. I will arrive at my destination safely. I do this. When I go to eat food, first of all, I don't bless food that I know is toxic for me. That's another thing that I just can't understand. You see people with a plate full of diabetic food. Food is going to give them diabetes instantly as soon as they swallow it. And then they try to pray over it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Didn't work. You die, no. You're going to get diabetes anyway. So listen. <laughs> If I have a plate of healthy food, I bless the food. If I have food that I'm going to cheat and I'm going to have a snack, I'm not going to bless that food. I already know it's toxic for my body. I'm not going to try to trick my brain into thinking that I'm putting in something that's going to, that's, you know, this Klondike bar is going to miraculously cure my cancer or something. Mm. God, we have to be, you know, we have to be real with ourselves. We have to start thinking in different ways because a lot of the times we trick and fool our own selves. That's the truth. That's what we do. We, we fool ourselves into believing this is good and this is good enough. Bless your food, bless your path, bless people, think good about people, love one another, respect one another, treat people the way you expect to be treated. You know, I'm going on the 42 laws of Matt right now from the ancient Egyptian uh, mysteries. And guess what? Everything will work out. We'll come together. There'll be peace on this planet. We'll ascend to a high level of consciousness, another dimension. We'll, we'll make heaven on earth. Our future generations for many years to come will be very happy and ecstatic that we did this. We're the pioneers of the, the bringers of light. And I want to thank everybody for coming out. I appreciate you. My name is Billy Carson. That wasn't loud enough. Billy Carson. Okay, so Rama, what do we got here? Oh, we have Rainbird. And I'm going to pass the talking stick with the Emerald Serpent Feathered One here on this talking stick with angels and fairies and feathers and rainbows and crystals and the spirit of the oneness. Here it comes, Rainbird. Oh, I got that. Thank you. And thank you for everything tonight. Man, this, <laughs> he, he really lays it out, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so lots of gratitude for everything. And I'm going to pass this discussion stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. This is um, Alan Watts, Awakening to Light. <laughs> you got to turn that sound back up, right? Yeah. Okay. All right.
because after all, isn't it odd that anything exists? It's most peculiar, it requires effort, it requires energy, and it would be so much easier for there to have been nothing at all. Therefore we think, well, since being, since the is side of things is so much effort, you always give up after a while and you sink back into death. But death is just the other face of energy, and it's the rest, the not being anything around, that produces something around, just in the same way that you can't have solid without space, or space without solid. When you wake up to this, that you are really a playing of this one energy, and there is nothing else but that, that it is you, you become full of energy. And you suddenly see through the whole sham of things. You realize you, you're that, we won't put a name on it. You're that, and you can't be anything else. But according to Buddhist philosophy, all this universe is one ta-ta-ta. That means 10,000 functions or 10,000 things, one suchness. And we're all one suchness. It's rather the same situation that you get between the speaker in a radio and all the various sounds which it produces. On the speaker you hear human voices, you hear every kind of musical instrument, honkings of horns, the sound of traffic, the explosion of guns. And yet all that tremendous variety of sounds are the vibrations of one diaphragm. But it never says so. The announcer doesn't come on first thing in the morning and say, ladies and gentlemen, all the sounds that you will hear subsequently during the day will be the vibrations of this diaphragm. But don't take them for real. And the radio never mentions its own construction, you see? And in exactly the same way, you are never able really to examine, to make an object of your own mind, just as you can't look directly into your own eyes or bite your own teeth. Because you are that. And if you try to find it and make it something to possess, why that's a great lack of confidence. That shows you don't really know you're it. And if you're it, you don't need to make anything of it. There's nothing to look for. But the test is, do you know that? And the point is that the, we come to an understanding of this, what I call suchness, only through being completely here. And no means are necessary to be completely here. Either active means on the one hand, nor passive means on the other. Because in both ways, you are trying to move away from the immediate now. But you see, it's difficult to understand language like that. And to understand what, is all, what all that is about. There is really one absolutely necessary uh, prerequisite. And this uh, is to stop thinking. Now, I am not saying this in the spirit of being an anti-intellectual, because I think a lot, talk a lot, write a lot of books. But you know, 
If you talk all the time, you'll never hear what anybody else has to say. And therefore, all you'll have to talk about is your own conversation. The same is true for people who think all the time. That means, when I use the word think, talking to yourself, sub-vocal conversation, the constant uh, chit-chat of symbols and images and talk and words inside your skull. Now, if you do that all the time, you'll find that you've nothing to think about except thinking. And just as you have to stop talking to hear what others have to say, you have to stop thinking to find out what life is about. <laughs> okay, Ram. No. No. It's time. Okay. Let me get the other one. Just a moment. <laughs> Time is transforming as we speak, and we're going to have to take another look at telomeres because there is. Something to that that we're moving into right now that's changing what happened 200,000 years ago. This is called The Angels Are Listening. Let's <laughs> go,
everyone that's called be kindness right yeah b e e two b e e two e's b e e be kindness.com and uh we may have our brother back mm-hmm. on our thursday calls night at the round table and i am so grateful for being here with you on fact on uh, station one <laughs> and um, until we meet again everyone namaste and see you tomorrow as it is appropriate for you uh, we start at one uh, thirty pacific and at uh 4.30 Eastern Time, and we go for a good, <laughs> uh, let's just say, uh, 10 hours. <laughs> so, um, see you on the bridge and in your dreams tonight, and until we meet again, namaste.
Namaste.